0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Uh, generally, our first hour is general discussion, but our two hours are general discussion, or it's Saturday, so as long as you ask questions. So it can be a long, a long day, a short day. Uh, whatever whatever it turns out to be so if you if you have questions for us go ahead and throw those into Makana you of course there you can vote on the questions so you can kind of guide us into what order you'd like us to talk about and we tend to spend a little bit more time at the top of the hour than the bottom of the hour so moving those questions around does make a difference so if you're there you can go ahead and do that if you're not there of course you can go to askofficehours.global any time of the day 24 7 Uh, you can go to askofficehours.global and ask your question and we fed all the questions in that came over last night into the system today so it's it's shiny and new and open so if you've got some go ahead and throw those in and let's go ahead and jump into the first question CJ what do we have
1: okay good morning Liberty White from Atlanta Georgia has the first question next to our very own Cindy Drozda who are some of your favorite YouTube tutorial training channels and why what part of their delivery do you find most engaging
0: I was trying to really think about all of the <laughs> I opened up my channels. I was like, you have 183 channels. So so I have many channels to work with. Um, I think some of them are more educational. Um, uh, uh, I I do enjoy Mark Rober um, and Veritasium, Tom Scott. Um, I like watching. I do keep track of Mr. Beast because of some of the audacious things he does i don't know if you saw the water project that he just took on but it's just um i like to i like to learn that's not necessarily training but it's uh, i i find it interesting um i do track uh potato jet um is another one that i um that i watch around cameras um and uh the uh i i do um uh uh follow uh, Tyler Stallman who was who was on our show yes last week so he's he's got great stuff around creator production and so on and so forth so definitely uh, check that out and um Audio University is a pretty good one as far as just talking about the talking about um, different pieces of this yeah go ahead Chris uh
2: my stuff tends to be not tech tech oriented but what's interesting is I find that um I'm more drawn to somebody's personality than their actual delivery or like video or audio content. It, it's interesting. It, it's, it's such a great example of how, you know, the, the story is everything and, and, and people forget that, but there's a couple I really like. One is a guy named designs by Donnie and Donnie is a woodworker and he makes, um, tables and pieces of furniture on an amazing scale. Like he'll, he'll laminate together a bunch of wood and then he cuts it and carves it and stuff. And he'll do these table pedestals that are, I mean, they're like, they're like this big around. They're giant. Um, gotta be heavy. And then there's, um, I really like the, and it's not really tutorial. it's kind of, it's more education. It's, um, I believe it's B1M. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but they they analyze giant um, building projects. So like the B1M today, we're going to do the Burj Khalifa and they talk about, you know, the design and the construction of giant uh, building pro- progress uh, projects. But, but again, it's it's like personality is more important than just, you know, the design and the polish.
0: Yeah, I don't know if personality is more important for me, but it is definitely important. I mean, it is something that is uh, fun. Dave Rat is another one that I, I follow. He is the most no nonsense audio guy. I think this is the audio engineer for the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and he just kind of tears stuff apart and talks about it, and you feel like he's he's lived a long life, um, and um, and uh, in a short time, <laughs> and so and so. But he's uh, he just is this great kind of like this is just the way this works, you know,
3: and he kind of works through it. Good, Courtney. Yeah, I like, uh, second on Potato Jet, I, I watched him for all the drone stuff that he does. He's an amazing drone pilot and uh, and a, quite a good personality too. Um, I like uh, Curtis Judd for re- reviewing yeah. audio stuff. He's great. He does very thorough audio reviews and comparative reviews for production equipment. Uh, he's great. Um, answers with Joe, Joe Scott. Not to be confused with the other Joe oh, uh, <laughs> or the other Scott Tom Scott or the other Tom Scott yeah the other Tom Scott uh, he's very good at instructional really informational stuff on on strange subjects on history and technology and everything that's weird uh, so those are my favorites uh, go-to's as far as instructionals let me think if there's eh, that's Pretty much it. There's a lot of voiceover mic testing uh, people out there. You know, the, um, oh, what is his name? Mr. Oh, I can't remember his name now. <laughs> Not exactly on my uh, uh, subscribe list, but uh, there's a number of comparisons. The Booth Junkie, that's the one I'm thinking of. Booth Junkie who compares, does A B comparisons of microphones. So that's a good place to learn about mics like the Stellar X2. Uh, go ahead, Guy. Yeah, there's so
4: many out there, but just like uh, Courtney uh, Curtis Judd, I, I love his uh, videos because he's 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 pretty calm and mellow, but he also shows things that are used by uh, real working professionals, uh, specifically audio folks. So. You get to see how the mics that he uses. He uses a lot of the same mics that I have and use and used to sell. So, uh, Sankey Cost 11s, you get to hear the difference. And he's very fair. In fact, he used to buy a lot of the gear that he he uses from me. And so we'd have these discussions. He's just an overall really good guy. Uh, Same with uh, Caleb Pike, a DSLR news shooter or a DSLR shooter. He does that pairing as well. I love people that take two or three or four things and show them side by side or how they work together because then you really get a grasp. It's not just one product, it's a a marrying two or three together. Uh, And a gentleman who I just found recently that I'm surprised doesn't have a lot more um, subscribers is Crimson Engine and I like this channel more for the behind the scenes and some of the this is more of a filmmaker channel but he's got a lot of great stuff on some of the higher-end cameras like the. the Arialexas and stuff that I don't get to work with all the time. So it's nice to have somebody who breaks down directing and script writing and then uh, lighting interviews, C500, Pro Wireless. So guys like that are really cool that are genuinely sharing their knowledge. I love people that are out there and that are experts in the field and that are they're really loose with sharing their knowledge just because they want to bring everybody up.
0: Uh, go ahead, CJ.
1: I was a big fan on YouTube of... Uh, like Wendover Productions and Real Life Lore, they do these longer form uh, looks at history. But then they broke off and started the. Uh, I guess they started an independent video site outside of YouTube because they weren't. They wanted to cover topics that would maybe, you know, get them demonetized. So anyway, their uh, Nebula TV does a good job. Uh, it's that's what they created, and that has uh, some film and TV production tech making things, and it's just another, just the, I have found the majority of the content that's on the site to be very, uh, very entertaining and very worthwhile. So, uh, Nebula TV, worth a check.
3: Uh, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I forgot one. Uh, Gerald Undone, I don't know if you mentioned him, Alex. I know. Uh, he's I great for did. reviewing cameras. Yeah. And Doug Johnson, Enterprise for, for uh, Mobile Production, and using the type of equipment we're using here, you know, for... Uh, uh, medium to low budget uh, mobile production in the field. You know, Doug Johnson's really good and He does a lot of explainers on on how he sets stuff up and wh- why he, Why he uses a certain piece of hardware and what he finds, you know, detestable about another piece of hardware <laughs> <laughs> Next question
1: Next question from Andy Kokendorfer in Vieira, Florida. Can you recommend a small teleprompter that works with a 9-inch iPad? Thanks I'll
3: Go ahead, Courtney. You know, I I can't really recommend any of these because I have always built my own. But I I just did a search on Google for cheap. I mean, he, when he says, just in case, Andy, you know, when he says he builds his own, like <laughs> he has
0: an Emmy for building his own <laughs> from scratch. I just look anyway, going, Courtney.
3: Well, this is why I don't sell them anymore because I search for cheap teleprompters right. and look at all these ones, thirty uh, three ninety seven for an iPad. These are. Uh, Feel World 8-inch teleprompter for iPad or smartphone, uh, $49 from Amazon. So you just go down the line. These are pretty good. The, you know, prompter people make pretty good, inexpensive. But compared to these other Chinese releases, uh, you know, they can't match the price. They're $300 for for a similar iPad mount. And uh, they make pretty quality stuff. I can't recommend any of these others necessarily, but for $39, you could certainly give it a shot and try it out. And since you're going to supply the iPad, uh, there's not a lot at risk there. It's just a piece of glass and some mounting hardware, really. Go ahead, Mitchell.
5: Yeah, I was searching uh, some time ago for all kinds of different sizes, shapes, and such. And I just went on Discord, and Scott Hancock from Tokyo uh, mentions the one take only pad prompter has a 15 millimeter rig for iPad and a tablet up to 12.9 so you can put a Lilliput or a small HD in there. I like the idea of the rods because the rods uh, satisfy the mounting issues real fast. Good, ahead CJ. I use the newer X14
1: uh, for an iPad Pro, the, which is a good one. The one thing that I would caution you though is if you're shopping to uh, put an older iPad into a teleprompter, I have an iPad Pro that has a little bit bigger bezel because it was the second generation before they went to the squared edges and it says it'll fit a 12.9 inch iPad, but I ended up having to put binder clips on the end of my teleprompter because the bezels made it just a little too
0: big. Uh, Go ahead, Guy. Yeah,
4: if you can, get a bigger one that's uh, based on an actual teleprompter from like prompter people. Uh, I think it's that buy once, cry once thing. The Elgados, I'm hearing good reviews, but the screen is lower resolution than you would think. That It's not a full 1920 by 1080, so it's a 1280 by whatever the other number is. So it, it's it's pretty small and rinky dink. Uh, it's like 295 bucks. So the one that Alex has, the uh, ICANN 12 inches are also uh, decent. But again, do you really need to have it based on an iPad that's the actual display? Or do you mind using a, an external monitor? Uh, this is a product that's coming out to market pretty soon. This one's called the the Ivy, and it's basically everything's built all into one. The webcam's actually built in, and this is the teleprompter inside of it. So that, that's another uh, type of model. But yeah, I wouldn't recommend anything really on an iPad unless you just had to. We used one on Mad in the Kitchen, and. It worked. Um, I don't know what the model is, but it's, again, one of those, if, if you could get a bigger display and use a real display, then your talent will be a lot happier than trying to read from such a small little device.
0: Yeah, and it, it, a lot of it also depends on how you're using it. Are you using it as an interatron or are you using it as to read? If you're using it to read, I'm gonna think that if you're doing an iPad, you're trying to read things off of it. And in that case, it works pretty well. There's a bunch of apps for the iPad that'll let you control it from your phone or from other things. So if that's what you're trying to do, if you're trying to actually have an image in there, then you'll have more, more challenges. Um, but if you're actually just trying to have it pump text up there, and, and if you are, I would look at the Elgato as one of the options because the problem with the Elgato is that it doesn't actually have an HDMI in. Um, but, the, uh, but the but the but the advantages it can just kind of tie into something and 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 play it out a USB C. Um, but I would um, I think that I do think that I've, I've seen the newer's um, as far I don't I usually want a more complicated <laughs> version of an of a teleprompter. But I've seen the newer's uh, used very successfully. Um, these are the I think the same one that C J was talking about, which is the X fourteen. Uh, we also built our own a lot. Um, I, I go to other countries and I can't carry a teleprompter, so I land in the country and literally find—you know—just find stuff and build them. <laughs> you know, because it's—it's a—it's a—it's a monitor at 45 degrees from a piece of piece of uh, one-way glass. I mean, you can find you can find one-way glass. You'd be surprised anywhere in the world you can find one-way glass. I have found it in pretty—I mean, capitals, but but you know, in Africa, like I, there's somebody that's selling one-way glass, um, and you can kind of get those as needed. Um, Next question.
1: Next question is a QR code from Tim McMillan in Poughkeepsie, New York. What software do
5: they use to make NFL lower thirds? Go ahead Mitchell. I know a few years back they were using After Effects uh, pretty extensively and then when they uh, uh, consolidated their operations and moved it out to the west coast, uh, there's a certain graphic house that they use and they're using After Effects, uh, anything else including Cinema 4D.
0: Yeah, I mean for some of the stuff that's done in post they definitely use After Effects and, and other things like that. For the stuff you see live, so that we're talking about live versus post. So After Effects is definitely something that has been used for for the post stuff done for NFL. For live, the NFL has been using some and every station, every channel, every network uses something different. So it's not the NFL making decisions. It's it's typically the the um uh you know when you're watching an NFL game is what does CBS use, what does Fox use, what does uh, Amazon use and so um, usually almost all of them is a mixture of for the NFL games is is Chiron and Vizrt. Um, so Vizrt became kind of the thing in the early 2000s or maybe mid 2000s um, with Fox, and then that kind of took over. And they and these are these are not rendered out lower thirds. When you're watching an NFL game, uh, you're looking at these um, interactive event. You know they build these, and I don't know what they're building them in now. When I was when I was connected to that project the, the these were all built in Maya, so all of the 3D models and everything else were all built in Maya and all connected to it all. Then those are delivered back to VizRT. VizRT then is, give, is given behaviors, given processes um, you know and and then you and that 's how it 's bringing all the numbers in, bringing all the, the all the downs all that 's happening in real time and that 's not what most of the software that we use on a day to day basis does. So that's what VizRT, Chiron, a couple other ones are really the owner owns that. Now, the AR stuff uh, that you see coming down, which is getting so good, (laughs) like it was a couple years ago, it was sliding a little bit. You know, I remember four or five years ago, it was kind of sliding against the field and everything else. And now it's like locked into the field. The graphics look better every single year. And um and now they have like they they're making up their own fireworks. There's fireworks going off over the thing between you know, as they're as they're leaving a shot, or they have these big ones that look like a bunch of little stars, which are like the football players or the helmets. It's it's in, in, in intense. And that's most of that's done in, in the Ro- Ross has a system that does that. Some some folks from Ross are people we're connected to uh here the here in office hours. And so um And they do that, and it's a really, really impressive uh, piece of it. It's not the lower thirds, but it's impressive. Um, And, of course, for a lot of uh, some games, Expressions, Ross Expressions is another Piece of software that kind of um, is is used in some of those environments, um, but yeah, uh, go ahead. About a lot of the three D models, by the way, are still built in Cinema Forty. <laughs> you know, so and then and then they're delivered to a uh, um, an Unreal Engine uh, of some sort or, or another to, to make that happen for like the raw stuff, and then for uh, they have I think they have their own now. I mean, everyone starts with Unreal, and then everyone starts to fork. Um, but uh, but the uh, the other stuff is all kind of a built-in render. Yeah, go ahead, CJ.
1: The other topic that always fascinates me is just the data interchange uh, mm-hmm. when, you know, how much of it is, how much of what you're seeing on the screen in terms of the numbers is getting controlled by the control room versus something getting fed from, I'm it's assuming, a data connect with the sor- scoreboard.
0: I mean, it, uh, most of it's all queued. I mean, you're hitting go, 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 go. I mean, the scoreboard tells you some of the things, that some there, but there's, and there's, for most things that you see there, there is a person or a team to manage it. The, the budget for these things is... It's hard to get your head around like how many. I think that there's – Guy, how many trucks were there when when you visited the Thursday Night Football? Was it eight or 12? I can't remember what the number was. I I think there's 12 trucks.
4: Yeah, it was about eight. I'd have to go back and look at some of the pictures. And they were very specific. Like different trucks had different things. Replay was just amazing. Uh, And then the Ross one was um, uh, one one unit. But – it was shared with some other folks in there, but it was amazing to see behind the scenes. I can't talk about a lot of stuff, but we were in after hours and it was dazzling. I mean, it was just simply stunning to see the workflow and then meet some of the folks that are behind the scenes on that. I didn't realize how many people it took to run that replay. It was it's a lot of folks.
0: I mean, well, then, so many. There's so many different, you know, because you have different people running those cameras. And so, and they're selling those back to the director. And there's, I mean, there's many, many, many replays that are available at any given moment. And
4: then they had that drone shot, which was pretty amazing, where they just took off and pinned. So they used some of the AR and pinned the graphic um, as they went up. And that was just like mind boggling, too, to see the how drone they or the drone or the, the, the sky cam.
0: Was it a sky cam, the cable cam? I know it was
4: a drone, that oh, an, actual a, an actual drone with a camera that they pinned stuff on mm-hmm. the field using some kind of trackers. And then when they lifted the graphics, stuck and uh, the mm-hmm. drone went up, and it was just amazing to watch.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, like you mentioned, the the AR stuff. I, I worked for VizRT in the early years when they were developing all that calibration stuff to calibrate to the field and, and interface the cameras. Uh, and then uh, Ross took it over after a number of years. But it was pretty amazing that they that they would pull a clean mat just using the green of the field or a difference mat uh, to get the players over the top of the graphics, the line markers and the first down markers and so on. But uh, that was pretty interesting. But Ross pretty much owns that now. I think VizRT may still do some of that. VizRT moved more into into a lot of graphics. Then. Yeah, a lot
0: of the lower thirds is still this yeah. RT yeah, um, process. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the, the, I have to say, uh, which is just something that we could do in, in After Effects as a dare. Not not that because it's not getting live graphics, but if you want to learn how to use After Effects, just take the lower thirds from any NFL football game and try to reproduce them pixel for pixel, not like kind of like get close to it. Like all the little shades and all the little dots and all the little things that they're doing and the movement and the slow motion and everything else have it so that yours could sit over top of it as a difference mat, and it would be black. just just try that. That is like I mean for most people that will that would be your i mean you could do an I, I realize you could do a whole semester in a in a art college or whatever on one iteration of those lower thirds <laughs> you know, like it is it, like i watch them a lot i mean i, I mean, I, I just stare at the lower third usually the games i don't stare at as much but i stare at the lower thirds and stare at the graphics and and it is i mean the the, gra- the level of graphics now and when you see throwbacks where they show the graphics you know some shot from a a game in you know 2002 or whatever you're like wow <laughs> we've come a long way go ahead
5: mitchell that I hear challenge? Um, yeah. Yes. The only thing you couldn't do as easily in After Effects is the 3D stuff. It's just not a 3D program per se. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, next question.
1: Next question from Adrian Watkins in Wellington, New Zealand. Have any of the panel tried Room EQ Wizard?
0: Room EQ Wizard. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Courtney.
3: Yeah. I just briefly took a look at it here. It's a uh, REW. Uh, it's software. It's downloadable. It's cross-platform. Uh, you do have to have a special microphone that they recommend, uh, an instrumentation microphone. I saw, there's a picture of it there. The um, a Dayton Audios EMM6, for example, uh, to, to interface to their software. It's available for the Mac, Windows, and Linux. It's written in Java. So I haven't tried it out. I guess it does, uh, you know, calculates EQ and applies it somehow to your acoustical system, maybe. Not sure uh, how that works, uh, you know, or whether it it generates a profile that's downloaded somewhere, an EQ profile that's downloaded somewhere into a mixer. Yeah, I mean,
0: there's a a variety of these kinds of... um, uh, you know software that that can basically you're using um, impulses or samples or you're just playing st- you know it can be a variety of different whether it's pink noise or white noise or other things and that's going to give you a real um, solid most of them are pretty expensive I don't know how expensive this one is <laughs> but most of them are pretty uh, pretty expensive pieces of software to make this actually work and something that hopefully we'll talk more about but it's it's cool. Yeah, I, I, this one looks interesting, I've never seen this one specifically, um, but, uh, but it looks like a pretty interesting um, an, analyzation tool. Um, yeah, the uh, yeah, next question.
1: This comes from Andre DeLay in Berlin, Alex, I'm very impressed with your black level change and how quickly you did it. The difference is huge, thanks for making it an even better show.
0: Thanks. Um what Andre's talking about is that he he complained about the fact that my blacks in my camera the not my camera well maybe my camera but my uh both my camera and my um uh in my screen so if I'm doing a screen share I don't know what I have up here hold on. Oh. <laughs> yeah. On. I was just—I was reading an article. And I just want to make sure I, did, you know, I just, just want to make sure it was okay. Um, yeah, this is a, this is a fascinating article, by the way. If you do inside the crypto kingdom, it's all about. Um, Bitcoin in Bhutan, which I thought was just fascinating. Anyway, but what you'll notice here is you should notice that the blacks aren't as crushed as they used to be um, in the image um, that's there so that you, you don't, everything doesn't go you know straight off to black. Um, also with mine, my image shouldn't go straight off to black either. Now with, my, with mine, I did a LUT. So what I did, the mistake I was making is I was doing LUTs where I was capturing footage off my camera and then I was putting it into my... Um, I was putting into Resolve and then I was doing the correction and then I was putting back on my camera. The problem was is it wasn't correcting for the entire chain. So what I did is I I ran um, my camera, I set my camera to turn off the LUTs. So it sent me uh, basically an S-Log3 through the the camera through the switcher into QuickTime, opened QuickTime up and then captured the QuickTime frame. I then took that into Resolve and corrected it, and I did use this little guy here. So instead of like trying to get all the correction working from there, I did you know I did this, which is actually you have to do it upside down, which is like that. So I, I held it up like this, and I and I did a did a capture, and um, and then I, I select those, and that gets me close to the color that I want. And then I made some adjustments to the black levels and so on and so forth. And then I loaded on the camera. It usually takes a couple times. Like you look at it, you go, and I'm still working on it. You'll see this, my camera change. I don't think it's perfect yet, but it's, it's better than it was. So the, um, anyway, so the, so that is the, um, that's what I did with the camera. I did something similar to the, uh, to the screen. So what I did with the screen, how do you capture, how you do that with your, with your Mac? And so what I did is I, I ran the, um, the, 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 Mac Mini out into QuickTime, and then I went full screen on the screen that I wanted to actually adjust, um, so that I didn't get. It. And then I used this little guy here. This is a Data Color or Spider X or whatever, and I let it correct the monitor for what was going through the switcher through UBC to the to QuickTime. I let it correct the entire pipeline as opposed to just the monitor, which is what I've been doing in the past. And i I'd, I'd done a version of this years ago, but it was there was something very wrong with the pipeline, so it didn't work perfectly. Um, and uh, and then I let it go, and 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 so now I have kind of a that's my pattern at the moment. Yeah, go ahead, Chris.
2: So curious, <clears throat> makes perfect sense. What does your monitor look like? to the naked eye right in front of you now. It looks a little it looks like the the it, that monitor is a monitor that's
0: really so I can deliver to the show, so it doesn't really matter what it looks like to, in a lot of ways, but the, the the blacks look a little lifted. You know, the blacks look a little lifted. It looks a little warmer than than I would expect. Um, and you know, until I mean I don't I I think I just kind of gave up that like <laughs> black magic's probably not going to fix this. So so I so I I just, I went ahead and and uh and just did something until you know, until it gets fixed somewhere. Um, I figured I'd make some adjustments so yeah it looks a little it doesn't look bad it just looks a little raised you know like a little the blacks just look a little raised on that on that one monitor because um, all of them when I did that of course I went through the trouble of correcting all the monitors so they all look the same and this one just looks a little little bit more um, raised, raised blacks. I do I will say that this is a great little I forgot how much I like this little guy um, that you just kind of throw it onto things and it goes and your monitor will all your monitors will look the same. I go with Mitchell.
5: Couldn't you put uh the LUT you generate with your spider into one of those uh uh bidirectional converters? Yeah, so i Yeah, so I'm 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 uh, uh what I really want
0: to do is potentially use a LUT from a, you know, actually build a LUT. The problem with this one is that the, so I love this little data color, it's nice and easy but it generates an, I, a, a, an ICC profile it doesn't generate a lut but they're both the same thing i mean an ICC profile is a lut for your monitor <laughs> and so so the um, so what i what i want to do is is i've been re- I don't have really figure it figured out yet, but I'm, I'm researching there are apps on, online. I, I never thought of asking for this, but of course I was like, well, what I really want is a LUT. And I started searching. Of course, there are tools that will convert your LUT to an ICC profile. So what I'm looking at is the ability to take an image in from a computer, take it into Resolve, fix it the way I want it, and this is not usually what you'd want to do because you, you would not have an accurate, you know, the, you'd want the data color to give you an accurate number. But if I want the monitor to be a certain color, I can go in there and adjust it. And so what I want to be able to do is take what I have right now and then convert it to, you know, convert that file a little bit to a, um, uh, uh, convert that file and just raise those blacks up if I wanted to. If I wanted to have more control over it, but, you know, now getting into a deep water that will, I just need to always know that I'm only, I'm adjusting that monitor to look good on the show and I should never use it to think that any of those colors are accurate. Uh, Go ahead, CJ.
1: Now, are you, when you're using the, the Spider X to do the calibration, are you calibrating each monitor uh, individually, or are you calibrating a single monitor and then using the studio match function to try and match that one monitor?
0: I monitor, I, I calibrate each monitor on its own. Yeah. I just go from one monitor after the other. I want them to all be independently accurate from, from where yeah, they are. I haven't done the studio match yet.
1: Yeah. And I've thought about that too. So then I, I look at the studio match and I wonder why would I. I don't know why I would go to the, the studio match versus the regular calibration, but I've yeah, been I tempted.
0: I think if you all if you had all the same monitors, which I do. I mean, I have four monitors that are the same. Uh, I, well, not quite the same. That's the problem. I have three monitors that are the same and two monitors they are another version of Dell's monitors. And so it's not, you know, the problem is different monitors are going to have different things. And I think that the problem is you're also, the monitors are all set differently. You know, like you do the best you can to get them all in the same place. But it's, to me, it's dangerous to be like... You know, you never, you always want to relate to reality as much as you can. You want to re- 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 relate to reality and not your construct of reality. Your construct of, re- when you relate to the construct of, your, of reality, uh, you get different, <laughs> you get different results because your construct isn't accurately representing the real thing. So I don't want it to assume that these, cam- these, these things are the same. I want them to, to measure those. Trust but verify. Uh, next question.
1: Next question's in from Douglas Carmichael in comments from the NAB to the FCC. They said more C-band satellite spectrum would be needed, quote, if 4K programming becomes widespread, unquote. Outside of the cinema sector and streaming, wouldn't most broadcasters need expensive upgrades for 4K
0: end-to-end? Yeah, I mean, 4K is it's going to be hard. Yeah, go ahead, Mitchell.
5: Yeah, I got two parts to this uh, response that I have. First of all, C-band is being repacked or in the process of being repacked. And a lot of stations are losing uh, their C-band uh, uh, space-time segments. Uh, so I wouldn't think they'd be moving 4K to C-band. I think it's more of a higher frequency like a KU band or KU powered plus uh, band that uh, gets you uh, more bandwidth or more uh, baud rate inside the, uh, uh, I said baud rate, didn't I, mm-hmm. inside that uh, satellite. So uh, that's one part of it. And then the other part, I don't think you're going to see anything uh, being upgraded to 4K in the broadcast business because they just don't have the money to do it.
3: Good, Courtney. Yeah, and for DirecTV and DISH, you know, the uplinks, you know, they're, they're, they don't have the transponders and all the satellites that have to replace all the satellites. Maybe they've been in the process of doing that. But uh, it would be tough, a tough call to – I've been in that direct DirecTV uh, Earth station that's over in uh, uh, Culver City. And it's quite an amazing location with all the dishes that have all the uplinks and downlinks from all the local stations, from all check, the networks. Check out their Boulder, Colorado uh, operation. Right. Boulder is also very big. But, you know, the surprising thing is I bought a new television set with a next-gen ATSC-3 receiver on it. And I thought, well, now I'll be able to get some of these 4K rece- rece- reception over the air. And I went through all the local television stations. There's only two in their independents in LA that are broadcasting on next gen, ATSC3, and they're not in 4K. And uh, in fact, ABC is 720p here. Yeah, the main ATSC1 is all only broadcasting in 720p. And there's only about five stations that are broadcasting in 1080 and all the rest of them are at 720. So jumping to 4K is going to be a major push for most television, local television stations. So because even in LA, you know, big market, you know, most of them can't afford it.
0: Yeah, there's I don't I don't know how um, <laughs> I don't know uh, when broadcast is ever going to go past 1080i. Um, and, and so I think the NAB, everybody's pushing. You have to fight for. Somebody, and we're fortunate that NAB is out there fighting for it, regardless of whether I I agree with the veracity of their um, of their argument. It's really good that NAB is out there fighting because what didn't happen is no one was fighting for spectrum when when they were taking away our wireless. Like there was not a wireless consortium that had a representative that said, "Hey, you're about to cost everybody a, a, like you know hundreds of millions of dollars of having to buy new wireless mics, and somebody should pay for that." Like what what really should have happened there is that. The, the, you know, the FCC should have put as part of their little cash crop, I mean, because, you know, this is just free money for the FCC. They're, they're selling something, they're, they're selling, you know, you know, bandwidth, you know, like they're, they're selling, you know, and so they've licensed it into a point where they just generate revenue from it. And they just decided to take it away from a lot of people who had pieces of hardware that only could use that, that, that bandwidth. And what should have been part of it is when you're paying $18 billion to take all this bandwidth away, add another billion and do it as a payout so that everyone can buy new hardware because you ruined everything <laughs> for everyone. And, and um, but, you know, so I, I, I have to admit that that decision process has shaken my confidence in the FCC. Like just, just the, its ability to do anything that makes sense. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm willing to fight everything that they want to do now. Like, you know, I just think that they should not be allowed to change the frequencies anymore. <laughs> so because they're it, it might because also proven be, that they're
5: not good it at it. It might also be Congress that's uh, pushing the FCC on
0: that. Yeah, you know, I just think I don't, you know, well, Congress shouldn't be allowed to do anything technical because those are digital children. Um, so, so the FCC, we hope that they have some experience, although the ones that are folks that are running right now don't have any experience. They just have theories. Um, next question.
1: Next question is a QR code from Chester Sweeney in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'd like four mics for Foley recording. Best four versus worst four. Go ahead, Mitchell.
5: I'm surprised uh, Courtney has it. Well, there it goes. He just raised his hand. So you're going to hear better info than I'm going to give you. But I personally, I love the Sennheiser 416s for that because they're just very uh, versatile mics. And as far as the worst, the worst I've seen in a while um, is the faux uh, U87 that Alex just bought for 20 bucks. (laughs) Just having fun. Go ahead, Guy.
4: Yeah, it really depends on what the chain is, but also uh, where you're recording at. If you're outdoors, it's a different scene. If it's uh, a nice sound stage, uh, shotguns are very popular. The 416 that uh, Mitchell just recommended, DPA 4017, uh, Neumann KMR um, 81, um, MKH 50, Those are a couple of the more popular, the gentleman that I like to follow, a friend of mine is uh, Watson Wu. I'll put a link to him in the chat. He records mostly uh, automobile and uh, guns and these are for video games. And uh, his style is totally different, but I love his website because he breaks down the recorder, the microphone, the wind protection, and then some of the GAC that he uses to secure these microphones to to cars and to various uh, motor vehicles. So, again, it just depends. As far as worse, I don't have a worse microphone. Well, maybe Alex is a junkie whatever that <laughs> was that you picked up for 20 bucks. Go ahead, Courtney.
3: Yeah, almost all of Foley work I've done or seen done has been with 416s or 816s. 816s, which is the super, you know, super cardioid, hyper cardioid, if you need to get in there and have the sound of some little tinkly piece of uh, uh, mechanical device that you need to capture and get rid of all the rest, you know, otherwise you're going to be recording the Foley artist's breathing and that kind of stuff. So if you need a lot of technical detail, use the super cardioid 816 and, 416s for almost everything else, for footsteps and, uh, you know, all your basic Foley work. And and almost all of it's done inside, with the exception of uh, recording sound effects in the field. Then I used a lot of 816 for car buys, you know, doing the car drive buys or airplane overheads and stuff so that you could pick them out of, the, out of a uh, complicated soundscape with an 816 and get good Doppler shift when the car goes by by. You know, following or not following the car with the microphone. So, uh, usually, I we would always stick with Sennheisers. And, and uh,
0: uh, Mickey says uh, Sennheiser Four Sixteen, Neumann Eighty uh, One I, Sure SM Fifty Eight, and Crown PZM Thirty D or Sure Beta
5: Ninety
0: One A. But 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 number one would be the Four Sixteen. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell.
5: Yeah, I was just uh, commenting on a guy mentioning shooting or uh, recording uh, firearms. Very, very tough to do because it's not the actual sound coming from the gun itself. It's the slapback that you get. So when you get that, yeah. you have I, to be very careful of doing it. That's quite a thing. I, I used to hang with the guys at Hollywood Edge and they did a, an entire CD of gunshots.
0: I got I, I got into a conversation with Ben Bird about gunshots. Um, uh, we were waiting for the Avid to come back up again because it was crashing and – and um, uh, the uh, and he said, you know, the problem is exactly what you said—that you people point the mics towards uh, the gun. And he said, you know, he, there's this one place in California that has just enough grass to go, and just enough trees to go, and just enough uh, uh, rocks to go. And he, and and I said, where is that? And he goes, oh, I can't tell you.
3: <laughs> and he goes, but that's where I record all the guns. <laughs> go ahead, Courtney. And recording ricochet—that's what the SM58 is for, recording gunshots. Uh, Mickey suggested. So you need a dynamic microphone for doing that. That doesn't won't bottom out. And the problem with condensers is, on a high concussive sound like a gunshot, there's a shock wave that will uh, uh, cause the diaphragm of the condenser to actually touch the uh, backplane. And, it, and there's a period of zero sound, if you look at it on a waveform, uh, while it over-modulates or, or shorts out, basically, and then it comes back to hear the... Uh, in order to have it up at a level where you can hear all that great uh, echoes off the foreign hills and something, you know, to hear all that stuff in the background that makes the gunshot sound bigger and better, you have to have it up at a level that gets shorted out by the, uh, by the impulse of that shockwave of the gun if you're too close to it. Um, but a lot of times, uh, most of the gunshots have been replaced with howitzer <laughs> recordings. <laughs> in, a, yeah. in most films, that's what they use, you know. Yeah, I've
0: done I've done some of that with uh, Sennheiser um, MD421 uh, is another one that I've used for for that type of uh, recording. Uh, next question. Next question
1: The QR code from Zach Jeffers in Spokane, Washington. Did anybody notice the heat sink on the iPhone in the latest behind the scenes Apple video at 57 seconds?
0: So I looked at the where you sent it and I didn't I couldn't find a heat sink. So I'm not sure if I'm I don't know if anyone else looked at it. I I saw the question and I opened it up um, and I couldn't I couldn't find a let's see, maybe I was looking at the wrong time because I was I was looking at a time that yeah, was Yeah, here's a close-up of it. I, I'm not seeing
4: what the heat sink is, but I do see some glue I mean, there. no, um,
0: I think that what you're looking at the off. heat sink uh, I think it's going up up and down the side. You know, so I think that that heats, what you think, what you're talking about as a heat sink, I think, is actually that's how that moment rig looks. That zigzag that's on the side there is the, that's just the way the moment, the moment rig is built. So it's not a heat sink that I know of. I think it's just a, it's just the, the, the construction process that they made there. So I don't think, yeah, I don't think that that's a, I'm just going to try to circle it there. Um, anyway, so I think that that's the issue. I don't think it's a heat sink. I don't think the foam needs a heat sink. Um, next question.
1: Next question from Paul Wallace in Hot Springs, Arkansas. In a large single-story home of 3000 square feet with 70 Wi-Fi devices and 20 Ethernet devices, what would you use for routers, switches, Google Home devices, Amazon devices, portals, etc.? Assume two or three Netscape or other router, specify model numbers. I think we mean Go Netgear. Ahead. Go ahead, John.
6: Paul, oh, you weren't listening yesterday. So Guy Cochran and I answered this question yesterday. I'll ready for you. I did a topology map for you with model numbers. Ubiquiti Dream Machine Pro has eight ports, and then it's got two two um, of the SPDIFs on it for uplinks as well. And then you just get the appropriate access points off of your Dream Machine Pro. It's game over, done. They don't support your two or three Netscape routers, however.
0: Uh, go ahead, Guy.
4: I don't know why paul's not listening paul listen dream machine and then switches uh, <laughs> switches so but no you deal, don't need multiple routers don't the big that. deal uh, so i had the same setup in, in our building which was a, a city block long and i had 10 of these access points and i could go from end of the building to the other end and just hop 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 and that's the cool thing about these i know courtney was saying you could have one for upstairs and one one for downstairs but then if you have shared nas storage on your network or devices that you want to talk to then it's it's a mess because how do you join those two together? Uh, and then just the interface. So here's mine. What I have, I just have a, a couple of the AC the AC Pro, a Nano, uh, two of the eight port 150 switches. And then I have some Netgear stuff. But when I was looking at this yesterday, one of the cool things is that you can actually see where the if you upload your floor plan, you could actually see where if you position uh, your access points, you, you can um, you know see where they radiate out from. So there, there's just really sophisticated. Um, because this is like probably the number one uh, router system for for small business, and so that's basically what you're doing, Paul. You're you're above just a regular consumer in a home. You <laughs> need something a little bit more industrial or commercial, and so this is kind of a sweet spot with the Dream Machine Pro and a couple of their uh, dedicated uh, switches that have PoE. So then, with the PoE, you can supply power to those access points.
3: Good, Courtney. Yeah, and just a reminder that uh, a lot of these uh, home uh, IoT things like the LED lights and uh, anything that's controllable over your Wi-Fi that, you know, has these built-in Wi-Fi controllers uh, for Internet of Things. Almost all of them are 2.4 gigahertz. So make sure you maybe have have one. I've run into a lot of problems with the... Uh, Newer, fancier routers that are multi, multi-frequency but use the same SSID on all of them and supposedly auto switch. But a lot of those uh, uh, LED controllers that have the Wi-Fi built in that are 2.4 gigahertz, they get confused and try and lock, you know, and try and go to the SSD, the one SSD name that serves all three of them and the router is piping the information out over 5 gigahertz and all the 2.4 gigahertz devices aren't seeing it. So, it's a big problem. So, I would just, uh, if you have a lot of those devices, make sure that your router has a separate SSID for the 2.4 gigahertz and keep all of your Internet of Things uh, LED stuffs on that particular SSID. Go CJ. And having been
1: down this road with too many Hue bulbs and Sonoses and Apple TVs and, you know, I whatevers, uh, if it matters, hardwire it. It's going to make everything else that's on Wi-Fi infinitely better if the only thing that's on your Wi-Fi is your laptop and your phone. Uh, if, if, if it matters, run a wire. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, next question.
1: Next question comes to us from Zach Stallsmith in Chautauqua, New York. I want to do a 24-hour stream which would be a looped video along with audio. My machine has 24 gigabytes of RAM and NVIDIA 3050 card and is in a gigabit network. Would this work okay for this purpose with either VMix or OBS?
0: Go, ahead, John.
6: Yeah, tons of people do this on OBS. I'm not. I'm not sure. Does YouTube let you do 24 hours? Yeah, anymore, you just won't record it.
0: Oops, yeah, so. yeah. You, you can go. You can. I mean, there are some streams on YouTube that have been up there for a year. Uh, if you go to like LoFi Girl or whatever, I don't know when the last time they reset LoFi Girl. It might have been four or five years ago. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, and that's a stream. That's not even a loop. That's a. They're like changing the music all the time so uh, yeah yeah absolutely but yeah you've I I think a lot of people have done it with both vMix and OBS there's a lot of things that you can uh, do that you just need a play out system to make that to make that actually happen but your computer should be plenty I mean you could do this on a Mac mini Um, next question.
1: Next question from Jeff Francis in Columbia, South Carolina, USA. Does anyone have experience with the Kindle Scribe? Has it replaced your paper notebooks or journals?
0: Yeah, the, 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 there's a um, – uh, who is the other one that I get all the ads for? It's it's the um, – so Kindle Scribe is is the one that you can kind of draw on, but the one that they are competing with is um, – uh, what is the Remarkable. And I have to admit – Remarkable, remar- the more remarkable. Two. Um, let me see if I can show it to you here. This is the one that. Uh, let's see. Oh, oh, there's a black. There's a black Friday. Um, I have not gotten the remarkable two. I've used it at like when I'm at CES, they'll have a booth. Um, this is the. Uh, this is the one here. I don't know what the price is compared to the Kindle, um, but I have to say that my experience of using this was so magical. I'm just terrified that I'm not going to use it like I'm terrified that I just it'll end up in a pile somewhere and I'll go back to my iPads or whatever but the the it feels like a piece of paper and it captures all of the um you know all the stuff but this is like my thing that if I decide at some point I just have three hundred dollars that I'm not going to spend on cameras or not going to spend on improving my studio this is what I probably spend it on it 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 just the feel of it is so good as far as it just feels like you're drawing on paper except you're drawing digitally and it lasts forever, um, and I don't know. Again, I don't know what. Oops, I don't know what the. Uh, um, and I, it's one of those things. Like I, it's. I just can't justify. I just keep on looking at it, going, I can't justify buying that. Um, the Kindle Scribe looks like it's in a similar price point. So, um, and I, I, I have to admit, yeah, um, it's not, It's a little bit less. The Kindle Scribe is is. Uh, you can see it. It was. I think it started a, a little above it. Um, it maybe that it adds kindle to it that you can write into it I think that might be that you can read the Kindle stuff and draw over top of it so I think if you want to do a scribe over top of the of it it would make sense for me I just want to draw and do things I'm not I don't really mark up books so um, so if you're if you're looking at reading books and drawing I think the Kindle scribe is the right is probably the right solution if you're looking at just drawing I can't imagine uh, Amazon doing something nicer than a purpose built system, um, company, Amazon's just not that company. <laughs> they don't, they don't build the best of a purpose built system. If it was dramatically less expensive, like $150, you go, oh, okay. And it's going to be not as good, but it's going to be close. Um, you know, I think that if you're trying to mix and match those two things, I think that, um, the scribe could be good. If you just want to draw and write as a board, I think the remarkable is probably just a little bit more expensive. And, and I, I've only used that one and it was just, you know, again, it's like one of those, someday I'll buy one of those and I'm just,
2: anyway, go ahead, Chris. Recently, I saw an ad for something and I think the key to this, well, it depends on what you're using it for. What I, I saw something, it was about the size of a keyboard and in the ad that I saw, it was mounted right in front of somebody's keyboard and it was designed for and you know as an editor although I like to do everything digitally copy this paste there you know not be tied to writing something down with a pencil it was just like a great scribble strip like oh here's an RGB value or here's a frame offset or you know just remember these three numbers because I can't copy and paste all three of them I know there's utilities to do that but I'm not smart enough to do that but it was but to me the answer to it was the form factor so that it's convenient where and when you need it. And if somebody knows what this, so, CJ is pointing up something. I need to see that, CJ. Send me it's a link a to It's a dry
1: that. erase hey. board that's the size of a keyboard that just lets you scribble down on it. I've got a couple okay. of these. There
2: you go. Okay, <laughs> that's a little primitive. I'm, I don't live in a cave anymore.
1: Um, I do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it, this thing was digital and the you could even do things in different colors, as I recall. But to me, that was the key to it. It's like the form factor, where it's going to live in my you know messy universe here. Yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah,
3: I was kind of surprised at the price of these things because you know uh, on the Black Friday sale from Amazon, they're three hundred four bucks, and they're usually four hundred nineteen or something. And just have a small slate that you can write or draw on. You know the the better priced ones uh, that you can get a lot cheaper would be the Donald Duck Magic Slate. It the looks yours the so much more expensive than mine. <laughs> yours, is, you, got, you got a different price than mine. Like, hold on, what was that's like, the Black Friday?
1: Courtney had deal? the sixty-four gig. You had the 16 64 gig. Yeah, this oh, is okay. you know
3: a real man's yeah. way. You know, but if you want to go, <laughs> <laughs> if okay, you want to okay, go okay, cheap, that's... you know, for mm-hmm. about two bucks or two ninety-nine, I think you can get the Donald Duck Magic Slate, and it looks almost the same.
0: Yeah, I mean the. I will say that all the the, all the money spent in these tablets, and I actually got to talk to the folks at Remarkable about it, um, when I was at CES a couple years ago, and. Um, all the money is spent on the user experience. Like it is just to make it feel like paper, but be digital and to be able to get to things quickly. And they were like, there's no business if you don't make it totally seamless. Like if it's, if it's not something that is completely, you just you can just do it. You, there's, no, there's no business for them because if it's slightly not as good, then you can just use an iPad. <laughs> so, so this is, and they really were like, this is not just for people who don't have iPads. This is even for people who have iPads. And part of it is is that and I get part of the way there, one of my iPads is covered with a paper sub- substance, and that's the one I use for all of my draw like all of my ideas and everything else. I only use my like not my newest iPad, but my older iPad because I put this paper substance over top of it and that, that friction makes a huge difference. Like just massive difference in my in, in the in in my uh how I feel
2: when I'm when I'm doing that. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. So wait a second. You have a an iPad that you put paper on— isn't that a legal pad? No, no, it's got paper. It's got a paper. It's got. It's got do you a, use whiteout to uh, correct mistakes? I do not use whiteout. It's got a. It's
0: got like a paper surface, but it's not paper. It's not paper. Here, hold on.
2: Because they make notepads for that, and they're considerably less expensive, and you don't have to have an Apple ID attached to it. I'm just saying. I just want to make sure we're all. You know, they on the have ones that make pa- page paper. literally. So,
0: it's it's hard to it's hard to describe but it, like this surface that I stuck the sticker onto uh feels like paper and so your your pen pulls across it like paper and it is twice as pleasurable to draw on
2: <laughs> like it's just it's much it's much much better it, it, at at a certain point this world has just got way too complicated
0: I just want I want I want them to actually make the nibs a little bit rougher and I've thought about getting nibs and roughing them up a little bit so that they would scrape across that just a little bit uh rougher than that and so that's 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 my next uh my next thing next question
1: next question from tony mobley in noonan Georgia, and here on the panel i need to upgrade my switch in my setup are there any recommendations from the panel to at least eight ports
5: right, go ahead mitchell tony it's it's funny because i'm doing exactly the same thing i just pulled it out of the box for you but uh, it's a Netgear. It's a GS308 EPP. And what I suggest uh, by going with something like this is that power over Ethernet is something you're probably going to need at some point. This is uh, the PoE+, Plus, so it's got a few more watts available in it. And uh, the next step up from that would be one that Guy is going to recommend. Go ahead, Guy. <laughs>
4: How did you know I'd have to do the expensive option? So, if you need an unmanaged switch, you can do what Mitchell uh, is talking about. But did you want to use NDI or Dante, Tony? Uh,
7: actually, it's it's a little bit complicated. But what I'm trying to do is I love complicated. Come on, bring it. <laughs> I'm I'm having to bring over. Um, we've been using uh, a Mac Mini Basic for Conversation with Tony Mobley, with uh, Memo Live. And we are running into some issues. So what I'm planning to do is to utilize the Mac Mini and my MacBook Pro M1 uh, Pro to be able to handle the weight of what we're trying to do with the show. So my Mac Mini does not have a uh, mic, sorry, my MacBook Pro does not have an Ethernet connection. It is Wi-Fi only. So I have to wire it because we don't want to do a show with it being uh, on Wi-Fi. So that's the the reason for the need for the switch complication part is where am i going to put it in terms of the setup cuz i don't have any room on the table on my desk so um trying to figure that out too but um more and more devices in my setup seem to need to be connected with a wire so that's that's kind of the the complexity of it and then i have such limited real estate in terms of this desk yeah that's not complicated i, I
4: just the simple one that uh, mitchell I, I have something all queued up here that's super complicated so i'll i'll just say that you just need a little StarTech uh, USB C to uh, a gigabit ethernet adapter and and then that way in a simple switch unmanaged switch like what mitchell was going to show, and because uh, I thought you were going to say that you're getting into NDI or Dante or something, and so I was going to pull out this $500 well, that's, option. that's to part of it. Under hundred, that's
7: part of it, but um, Mr. Clalock Lopez Waterman would have to explain that to you, because I, I, I we, Mickey and I, and and, and Clalock, we were on last night and trying to figure it out, and um, it, it's uh, part of it is. We're trying to do something that with Memo Live and with the infrastructure that I have that really is, we're we're, we're stretching, but we're trying to make it work. And so we had some real serious issues this past Wednesday, Um, but we were able to get the show through because Mr. Waterman was able to be creative and use uh cloud cloud flare to get it done but we were almost at the point where we were almost having to cancel the show from last wednesday oh wow
4: yeah and at the chat and and uh even mickey's just saying uh you just need some of the uh inexpensive unmanaged but for those that are listening that want the more expensive big guns the uh the M4250 This is an A port um, that, that has these fancy NDI profiles where you can go and configure but we don't have to go through any of that but anyways that's the cool thing about some of the more expensive stuff but I don't think that if you're not using NDI then I would just get a simple unmanaged and then get a, a USB-C to Ethernet adapter and call NDI it. A day.
7: Is, NDI is part of the equation that we're talking about going forward um, there are like I said we're trying to figure it out sort of on the run you know, but um, I just really want to get some ideas, and uh, and you know we're going we're going to take care of business. So well, it's it's one Anybody? of those buy
4: ones, cry once. You might have an extra switch if you do decide to go NDI. Um, if you buy the cheap one that Mitchell showed, and then later on you might have to spend the five hundred bucks and get get one of these guys, uh, and that way you can do proper NDI. But I, I would recommend getting a um, usb uh, adapter for each machine or a car, a separate ethernet card inside if it's a desktop machine and that way they're they're each connected to the switch on their own port with their own dedicated profile but, but again we're going a little long i see alex is like, no no yeah, there's no on. rush no rush okay
0: no i'm not not rushing at all i'm letting you just i'm just saying yeah i agree okay
7: yeah. No, I'll, well, I'll, 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 I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I want to say, Mitchell and, and Guy, thank you so much for, for consideration. Um, the things that you share, I'm definitely going to be looking at it. Uh, I am get, getting something from Amazon that's going to help us immediately in terms of just connecting the MacBook Pro, but um, I know that this, you know, also need to upgrade the 8-Day to Mini. So, you know, it's... And, you know, which one do I get, you know, um, going forward based on what I'm doing, you know, so. Sounds good. But thanks, We'll, guys. we'll keep, keep asking. Just keep working on it. Keep asking us. There's, obviously,
0: you're taking advantage of after hours. But please ask some of the questions on the show here because when we answer them for you here, we're answering for a lot of people who aren't at, asking the question. So we really appreciate you bringing those up, Tony, here. That's great. Um, next question.
1: From up on the Susquehanna River in Sealands Grove, Pennsylvania, it's John Foltz. Could someone explain how to calibrate the monitor after you use the Spider? Does the software do it or do you adjust the screen yourself?
0: Yeah, so what happens is is that you you, you take this and you set it down. There's some software that you download um, for this, the Spider X, that is the one that I'm using here. And you set it down on your desktop and it measures your environment. And then it gives you a target that it's going to go for. um, And then Uh, and then you, and then what you do is you end up taking this and you pull this apart and you hang it. You just use this as the counterweight. You kind of hang it down over top and it'll give you a target to put it on. And you, so you hang it down over there. And then what it's going to do is it's going to go through a series of colors and gray colors and color colors and everything else. And then what it's measuring is what is the. Um, you know, what is the setting on the monitor versus what I'm reading? And that's the key is it, it now has the whole loop. It could say, I'm sending you this, what are you getting? I'm sending you this, what are you, what am I getting? And so it allows it to sit there and go, you know, basically do a Marco Polo event. And so it can figure out what, what that is. It will then ask you sometimes to, it says your monitor is really low. So go into your monitor settings and change brightness to it, to, until, and then you hit, you keep on hitting update and it'll keep on measuring the brightness. So that you get the monitor to the brightness that it expects it then um uh, then then you then it finishes its calibration so then it runs that calibration through and then it saves out a profile that you can use an icc profile that you can use there and that's that's how it works and you can do it for each monitor um again i'm uh i used to do it like when i when i did a lot of work on these computer on my computer i used to probably do it once every three months to make sure that it was the same Um, and it really Takes all the work out of it, and it gives you a, a fairly accurate. I wouldn't say it is as, as accurate as some of my color accurate monitors, but it definitely got me within range where I'm not making horrible, <laughs> horrible mistakes uh, based on my monitors. And so, um, and it's effortless. Like it, it, you just hit the button and go back to watching TikTok until it's done, for the most part. Except for this a couple buttons in between. Not that I watch TikTok while, TikTok while I'm doing profiles, but. Um, uh, we, of course, are going to have, uh, we're going to finish up the second hour with as many questions as you post. So uh, it's up to you about how many you do. A quick reminder, of regardless of when we end at nine o'clock, we'll have a volunteer meeting. Um, that volunteer meeting just a little catch up, uh, answer your questions and and uh, talk about what's coming up and talk about some of the opportunities. So stay tuned for that. And now we're going to go ahead and jump into the second hour. I'm so proud of myself. I do that. Oh, see, I ruined it by talking about how proud I am about it. The perfect, the perfect close.
1: <laughs> it's Saturday,
0: so I can talk about those kinds of things. Anyway, uh, next question.
1: Next up, Craig McFarland from Boston, Massachusetts. Mac Photos is showing that I have five hundred duplicates, but I don't trust it will make the right decisions if I click the merge button. Is there a better process or utility to clearly show how it will merge photo and metadata?
0: Uh, I have to say that I've never done that because it, I have the same problem that you have, which is that I'm afraid that it's going. I'd rather just take up the space and have two of them because every time I've let iPhoto do something, I've lost a lot of great photos by letting iPhoto do work on my, on my photos. So I'm like, how about you just leave them alone? <laughs> like, you know, like they're, they'll, they'll both be there. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't use that software. I wouldn't use it in 500 photos. I mean – you're talking to someone who, I've got, I think, 200,000 photos in my iPhoto library, so I'm not I'm not that, um, <laughs> 500 is like a noise. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Courtney.
3: Yeah, I'd be very careful because, you know, you don't know. Sometimes you'll send photos to someone, you'll keep the same file name, and they'll send it back. It'll be let down res, you know, and so it'll go back into a folder somewhere. And it'll show up as a duplicate with the same name, but it won't be the same size. So the best way to do stuff like this is to get a program like Ddupe, that uh, looks at the files doesn't look at the names uh, it looks at uh, does a uh, a hash of the file to uh, check the checksum and will compare the two files if they have exactly the same checksum which means they're exactly the same size they, they have the same file name and they have the same metadata then it can remove one and you can tell it which one to remove or you can or it can isolate all the ones, all the duplicates into a separate folder or something, and then you can decide whether or not to, to remove them. That's the safest way. I don't know about the Mac Photos mm-hmm. software. I wouldn't trust it. You go, go ahead, CJ.
1: Another tool that I've used, again, you have to have the willingness to put in the time and the discipline to never hit the auto button, although I think for most of us, fear has prevented us from hitting the auto button, and for good reason. There's another utility on the App Store called Photo Sweeper. That does a good job of allowing you to, to set uh to set up what the limits are. You know, pick the larger photo or the newer photo or the naming convention is you know doesn't contain the word small or thumbnail, and then you can actually go through and see what it is determining is the duplicate and what is it's going to keep before you uh proceed. But again, it just it takes a long time. But photo sweeper, I'll throw it into uh into Makana.
0: Yeah. And, um Uh, I want to correct I said I said 200,000 it's actually only 65,000 I have 200,000 I think unread emails (laughs) so so I think that might be what's in there but but it's it's only 65,000 images and you have to understand the way I take photos like I don't take photos um, you know I think some people take photos of one thing Um, you know mine are more like hey I saw an interesting uh, theater so let's take a picture (laughs) and let's take lots of close-ups this is all I just go into reference mode so I was taking like because I've had to do neon before so if I see a neon sign that I like, I'm like I will take many, many photos to figure out exactly what's going on there. So especially when it's cloudy because it's, it's very uh, uh, diffuse and it's easy to get all the details out of it. Um, and, then, uh, and then I found a potato bug in the house. Now, that's six, six of those 65,000 photos is me playing with a potato bug trying to figure out what it is. It is not a Weta. I thought it might be a Weta but it's not. It's a potato bug. Uh, next question.
1: Coming to us from Rion Smith in Trinidad West Indies, does YouTube Live allow the user to make money like how regular videos do, especially if they are up live 24 hours per day? Uh,
0: there, I think it, I don't know if it will, I don't know if it monetizes, it has the capability of interrupting live and doing it. I think that it, but I, I think that, uh, I don't know how, I don't, I've never seen it interrupt a live stream. I've seen it interrupt it later with ads. Um, but I'm not sure how that mechanism works with live streaming um, that, that's there. Uh, if you do it for 24 hours and you have a record or if you got a record it might monetize it. But um, usually it's hard for it to target that. So I, I don't think you'll make much money. Usually live is a great way to excite your audience about your VODs. It's not necessarily a great way to generate revenue um, from the ROI there is, is not there. Um, next question.
1: From Scott Mueller in Germantown, New York. Any suggestions for a laptop to run VMix? Cyber Monday is coming, and I want something that will be as solid as my desktop. A good guy.
4: I don't think you're going to find something as solid as your as your desktop. Uh, I'm running this show on a on a, um, a gaming laptop. Uh, I've seen some people have pretty good success with them. It just depends on if you're using NDI or if you actually need cards. Um, something like this big old beast. This is from. Uh, Next computing called the radius. And that way you can still put cards inside of the thing. And then it's like a briefcase. And this is the screen right here. And then you just bring a keyboard along. So. I'll put the link in the (laughs) chat. That one's heavy. So it just depends on what you want to be doing. (laughs) CJ's just rolling laughing. That's probably the biggest thing that I've pulled out on the show. Um, But yeah, the gaming laptops from uh, MSI, I've seen some people have some great success with them. And this one, it's a Razer laptop. I I cranked the RAM up to 128 gigs on it. But still, it's a little iffy. I've had it overheat and and lock up (laughs) on a show. So it's one of those things where I've got it lifted up. Got fans blowing underneath it. It's maxed out. You wouldn't believe how many things I have hooked up to this thing. So the Razer ones are what I use. Would I suggest it for a show show? Probably not.
0: I take I, that. I, 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 had a razor. I had a Razer. I had a Razer go to sleep one day and never work up. <laughs> it, just, it just never woke up, and that was it. And I was like, "I am never going to buy a computer." And I called them, and they like, "There's no, It was out of warranty or whatever. But, and I was just like, and they said, "There's nothing we can do about it." And it's just something. that, it was a little bit of like, "Well, that's something that happens with the laptop." And I was like, "Okay, I'm never buying a Razor again." So, was that MSI, the
3: MSI Razer Razor that you bought? Yeah, exactly,
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, but I've used a. a we've we've seen people using MSIs a lot on on uh, on events. So that's the one that I have probably seen the most. Go ahead, Courtney.
3: Yeah, I was going to recommend the MSI. I bought an MSI. It's it's right over there. It's my main daily laptop. It has, a, uh, I think it's a 12th gen, 12th gen Intel. I don't have the 13th gen. The new ones out have uh, the 13th gen, and they have the GeForce uh, 4060s in them, uh, RTX 4060s. So look for one that has a NVIDIA GeForce RTX board in there uh, with separate memory and as much extra memory as you can slam into that thing. Um, but at least 32 gigs and make sure that the, the G-Force has its own dedicated memory. Uh, so, and that, they work pretty well, the MSI. I've been very happy with mine. They do have that annoying color panel and an RGB color backlight for the, uh, for the keyboard, which I managed to turn off or at least stick to one color because it drives <laughs> me crazy when it's doing it. <laughs> Changing yeah. colors drives me nuts. The kids these days. Uh, next question.
1: Next question comes from Douglas Carmichael, the electric cooperative where I live will be offering 1 gig over 1 gig or 2 gig, 2 gig fiber service in the fall of 24. I have an Amplify Alien, Ubiquiti's consumer brand, router. What router would the panel suggest for a 2 gigabit symmetrical connection?
0: Uh, What what does that dream machine go to? Is it a a 2, does it do, it does 10 gig, right, or is it a 10 gig router, So dream machine? That's what we'd recommend. Next question.
1: Next question from Kyle Hammond in Chicago, Illinois. I want to stream a single performance to two separate YouTube links. One, the show was planned, and two, the show with an audio description audio track. I plan to stream to both locations via Memo Live. Will my M2 Mini handle this?
0: Should be able to. The only thing that you'll get yourself in trouble with is if you're trying to um, uh, scale it in any way. Scaling takes a lot of processing power. Uh, Compression does not. So, um, I would, you know, of course, what you want to do is test and test and make sure that it works. Run a couple hours against it, look at your performance, look at what you're hitting, look at what the the things are. But an M2 should just hum through that. It should not, you know. I I don't know how you set up those separate. I don't know how you set that audio feed up in Memo, just because I haven't had to do multi language or or separate um, pieces there. But but it should um, uh, should work fine. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think that. Uh, I don't think it should be a problem. Next question.
1: Next question from Andre DeLay in Berlin. Do you have some kind of checklist that you go through before starting recording and streaming? I recently was stumped by too low bit rate because the setting wasn't executed like I thought it was.
0: Yeah, we have a lot of checklists, <laughs> like you know, for streams, um, you know, so you'll hear depending on the size of the stream, you'll hear a lot of checks going off and so and oftentimes uh, we've gone to, re- you know, you'll hear somebody reading those out, you know, reading those out. Have, is this done? Is this done? Is this done? Is this done? if, if it in, in many of the larger events that I have, they sound more like a NASA liftoff than anything else like this and you hear the individual person going check or, or and, and if it's one person managing it in the list, you'll hear this, this confirmed, this confirmed, this confirmed, you know, as we get ready to to make that happen. So you absolutely want to uh, build checklists. It's just very hard, especially in the heat of the moment. Um, it's very hard to figure that out. That's also why we often um, start our streams, we try to find an excuse to start the streams early. Um, So we wanna start, we wanna find a way to start the live stream 30 minutes, 60 minutes ahead of time um, so that before the stuff that's important is happening, you know, the worst thing to do is start right before your VIP, and I've had to do this, um, but you start right before the VIP walks out and if something's wrong, there's no way to correct it. And so you really want the, you always want some kind of it can be a pre-show or a warm-up, but um, a lot of times, you know. So the best, the best way to do this is a is actually have a pre-show, have a couple people talking back and forth using the system that they're going to use, um, and let them go back and forth and, and chat and everything else, and it kind of warms up the online crowd. It keeps them there in that in that discussion. It gives you a a soft start. So if someone's late, that, that that the people who are doing the pre-show can just fill. You don't have to have a starting soon slide. You don't have to change your countdown clock. You just have those people. You, you, there's someone on the other side of the camera going like this, stretch, stretch. You know, and and they just keep talking. Um, and we've been, we've had to do that for up to 20 minutes <laughs> because the VIP was late. Um, and so uh, so those, it gives you a lot of flexibility. But most importantly, it lets you test the system. Um and uh, and so one of the things that um, uh that you you want to do is kind of exercise the system before it matters, and so in inside of the live stream and so that's the best way to do that. But yeah, you want to have a lot of checklists of exactly everyone's got to have the checklists that they're working through, and you can figure out how you manage those.
5: But you should have a list of I'm looking for this, I'm looking for this, I'm looking for this. Hey go ahead, Mitchell. When you're running down the checklist, what's the preferred response? Uh, woof or yo? Uh.
0: <laughs> It's it, it, not confirmed usually. <laughs> usually it's confirmed. Oh, okay. Confirmed or yes or go or not go. You don't use go. We can't. So the funny thing is we can't use go because um, go is part of a call. When you're calling a show, um, go is the – so what they, they'll they say – what what typically happens is a show caller in a live event will say what needs to happen next and then give a cue that says go. So they don't say go for lights. They say you know, bring lights up. Go. This. This. Go. This. Da, da, go. So Ready the one to thing you can't go. say, the one thing you can say, you cannot say in a live event is go. You know, so you you're confirmed yes, um, yeah, like that. But we yeah we stay away from the go part. Now, next question.
1: Next question from Paul Wallace in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Courtney, what's your household internet config? Wi-Fi, Ethernet, switch, etc. How do you handle so many devices?
3: Good morning. Yeah, I didn't know there was going to be a pop quiz this morning. I should have studied. Yeah, uh, yeah. uh, I have my newest router is a Netgear Nighthawk uh, Wi-Fi six uh, version, which is does really well for downstairs and it has a little better reach and it's three frequency, three bands. And um, then for upstairs, I just uh, run a, a Ethernet cable up to one and, and I put it in a downstairs closet that's very close to the floor at the very top of that closet to get the second floor with because i can't run ethernet to this through this old house uh, you know without uh, incurring great expense uh, so and that handles the upstairs and, I, and it's my old netgear router upstairs and for a switch i have a completely full 8 bit gigabits uh, you know 8 port gigabit at your switch unmanaged and I need to expand it to sixteen ports because I'm just—I get more and more Ethernet connections in my in my entertainment system over there with uh, you know all the streaming devices and tuners that send stuff over my uh, over my network, et cetera, et cetera. I just need to add a few more ports because every TV, every you know uh, Yamaha uh, uh, AV uh, amplifier and you know Blu-ray players, got you a know, TiVo, You know everything takes a network connection these days and I've been running them all wired uh, locally. The exception is all the Internet of Things, all of the things that control the lights like that switch on and off the award lights back there and the colored lights back there, those are all on 2.4 gigahertz and so I like to keep them separate on a separate SSID so I just use that SSID to log into those to make sure that they stay on 2.4 gigahertz. Next question.
1: Next question from Julius Evans in New Orleans, Louisiana. Any recommendations for a PC mobile workstation as a one machine does all approach to solo creativity?
0: Good guy.
4: Didn't say how much. We're expensive friends. Here it goes. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Puget Systems has been on before. Uh, those guys have some really nice prepackaged systems. So I, I would f- start there. There's also some rack mount Dells that uh, Jeff Keithley has turned us on to. So a lot of us will take... Uh, loads off on separate PCs so that, that way we don't need just one super powerful machine we just distribute the, the workload and then the cutting machine will generally be a little bit more robust but if you want the most expensive thing out there the government uh, uses some of these big bad boys these are Acme portables and you can see they got the dual flip up with the gas struts and then they got massive raids on the back uh, these things are crazy I'll put a link in the chat if you want to take a look at these
3: good Courtney well when she said uh, are he- Julius he's he or she said uh mobile workstation. I was thinking a laptop. But uh so I think uh, a guy has a better suggestion if you're looking at a full workstation. But as we were saying earlier, these gaming laptops are you know not that expensive. And here's one for around twenty five hundred bucks. Uh it's an MSI Raider, it has uh 13th gen i9 in it so i don't know it's 24 cores something like that it's loaded up with uh, ram and a geforce 4070 graphics which is pretty darn good uh you might want to hook it up to some type of hub or port if you have a lot of uh, things to connect to it Uh, and it has a decent display so you know you can get those are are pretty good performers and then can handle most of your editing software or any type of uh, creative software that you're gonna use uh, and It has a full keyboard with a numeric keypad et cetera et cetera. You could plug a tablet into it if you want to use it for a uh, you know a drawing type input device so. and, the, and it's and portable. He- the only thing is these these seventeen inch screens. Uh, they're pretty heavy. <laughs> like six and a half pounds or something like that to carry around with you. And the power supply is a big brick, about the size of an actual brick, uh, to power the thing. Yeah, the uh, the the one that I've seen on on set for with folks that are
0: using PCs for a variety of VR stuff and everything else is the Titans, the MSI Titans. Um, they're a little a little more expensive, <laughs> but they've got uh, forty ninety cards in them, and uh, they're they're pretty uh, they're pretty snappy. But they they I think they started about. Next question.
1: Next question is from Brett below in Appleton, Wisconsin. In an attempt to avoid shame and ridicule for using a Focusrite Scarlett 2i2, I'm looking for a better audio interface for my Mac. What does the panel recommend for a decent preamp gain control similar price point to the Focusrite, $200 to
0: $400?
5: Go ahead, Mitchell. Uh, No shame and ridicule coming to you from here, Brett. Uh, I, you know the focus right is not a bad one. It seems like the lower number, the two i2, seems to have some issues, but no shame and ridicule. Um if you're looking for an alternative, um Bill Davis uses a Apollo Solo, which is just under five hundred dollars, if you can go that way. The the neat thing about it is that you can run some plugins in it real time, and he is using an Cedar plug plugin for noise reduction.
0: And and um Gort, uh, Courtney, what? How much is the Roadcaster? Is that that's more expensive, right? That's on the six or seven hundred dollar range. Yeah, I think it's close to six ninety nine, something like yeah. that. I can't remember, but yeah. And it's then I think that, if you're, you know, it depends on how many inputs you need as well. So, you know, like a there's the F three, which is Zoom makes the F three, which I think is in that range. Uh, go ahead, John.
6: This is really funny, Brett, because I, I don't know, the first month I was on office hours you know, Alex is there and he's like, whatever you do, don't get this car like you i do, which is what I've been using for years. And, uh, and then I dropped that and I, I moved up to the Claret line, which is one step above. And then there's red on top of that. Uh, Claret lines. Okay. But after I bought my, my mix pre 10 from, from Guy Cochran, everything else pales by comparison, get, get a mix pre and be done.
0: Yeah. The, the, um, uh, you know, the Scarlet I've had plenty of people who have had a lot of success with the Scarlet and they're fine. The only thing I relate to is the number one piece of hardware that has taken the most time of my life away from me has been the Scarlet uh, 2i2. And the reason is, is it's someone on the remote side, and everything was working, and then it just stops working. Like, nothing that we know of was changed, and suddenly we're not getting audio. And it just is so frustrating. Like, and it's just, and, and so it just makes, that, that box just makes me angry. Um, next question.
1: Next question from Zach Jeffers in Spokane, Washington. Did Alex ever land on a horizontal three-to-one style LCD?
0: I did. I got the same one that that Bo got. I think I think it was Bo that that, that had talked about it. I haven't put it anywhere yet. It still sits here. I, I know where I want it. I want it underneath my – I either want it underneath or above my, my switcher, and I just haven't been able to get the gear put together. So I'm in the process right now of building 3D models of most of the gear that I want to mount. Um, and once I do that, then I can – Model it out and then print it out and then put everything kind of where I want it. Then I'm going to go over to um, uh, Chris's house and uh, we'll build it all out of wood. So we'll we'll stream we'll stream building the desk (laughs) at at Chris's house. Having some uh, Sprite. Holding my breath. Yeah, yeah, see Sprite. Well, we'll, I'll bring over a pack of Sprite. Uh, Next question.
1: Next question from I don't know. what, What do you want me to
0: bring over? See Chris, what what should I bring over? Oh, Pepsi. Okay, there we go. Pepsi Cola. All right, there you go. Oh, what is it? What is it? It's got to have real, real sugar. sugar. Real sugar. Ah, uh, there we go. Uh, perfect. Okay, noted. Noted. I'll uh, bring a case of that. Um, next question.
1: Paul Wallace in Hot Springs, Arkansas. What's the best pen or marker to write on an iPhone clear case?
3: Uh, go ahead, Courtney. Not sure why you're wanting to do this, but uh, a lot of times in the motion picture industry, we always use these uh, China markers, uh, which will mark on glass cellophane, and they're, you can uh, wipe it off with a little alcohol uh, to clear it off of uh, whatever you're marking on it. They come in a variety of colors. Uh, if you want a dry erase marker, there are dry erase markers with fine tip, but they don't, you know, if you brush against them, the mark goes away. So the China marker has the most indelible but removable. Uh, is what i would suggest i'd stay away from a sharpie because it doesn't always come off especially if it's a vinyl type case it can soak into the plastic and you'll never get it off sharpie that's the only thing i would use sharpie
0: and and the key is is if it's clear you you can and you can write backwards uh, just write backwards on the, with the sharpie and then it'll, and Then you put it on the inside and it'll work but sharpies are the best um i uh, one, the one thing i just just little thing about sharpies uh, i've had so, i sharpies have been like a in production you can't get caught on the back
2: of a set without a sharpie You're like someone will be there like yeah go ahead good, good, chris what you say. please realize alex is joking do not write on your iphone with a sharpie no
0: no he's writing on his case he's writing on his clear case on an iphone he it's not it's not on the iphone he's he has a clear case for he the wants it iPhone. He to wants be to permanent he wants to draw on it he said the best pen or marker to write on an iphone i think that's the best pen or marker to write on an iphone oh. by the way if you have a clear case and it's smooth with a Sharpie, the Sharpie, the secret to Sharpies, um, and I, which I learned after searching on the internet, after my, my my son had this thing, and he thought it was really cool to go big circles on my whiteboard uh, with a Sharpie. And oh man, so I had all these swirls. If you take the Sharpie and you go, you scribble over the marker, the Sharpie marker, and then you wipe it off, it'll wipe right off. It'll always get, it'll, it'll just about always Dry come erase. off. Uh, off the dryer ways. No, no. You can do it with a Sharpie. If you do it with a Sharpie on a dryer ways, and then you Felt scribble. Solve yeah it, it, if it if you scribble on it and then you'll wipe it off and that's a dry they can take a sharpie off of a dry erase board Oh I way.
1: always scribbled over the sharpie with a dry erase to get the sharpie Oh I do it with the sharpie Oh it just works. oh if the sharpie's still
0: once difference. you make it wet again it'll pop, come right off the um but the but you have to do it immediately um anyway but the uh <laughs> right after it or you just have more to work with um so anyway but the uh they make solvents for it as well um but yeah the the sharpies like in if you're in production the one thing you want you don't want to be caught without of usually in my bag i've got i've got a black sharpie i've got the the standard black sharpie and I have a silver sharpie sharpie for black for gaff tape and then i have a usually a fine tipped sharpie that i use for um my uh to mark the the board you know and so that not, i don't write on the board itself i write on on on, uh, on
2: on tape yeah go ahead chris a great sharpie practical joke if you think about it sharpie is a white pen with a colored cap okay <laughs> change the colors a friend of mine changed all the caps on i, I used to carry a That's bag not okay. It's not okay. It was hysterical. I mean, I was so furious, but I mean, thirty years later, I'm laughing at it. Thirty years later, but you didn't talk to her for 29. It took a while. (laughs) But I'm now. Chris, are you the same person that punches all the buttons in the elevator? Yes, I've done that.
0: I did that once. I did that once as a as a nine year old in the federal building in in Pittsburgh. (laughs) And it was like three people in the United States, uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office, just staring at my father. And and I, I hit them all. It was like
7: 60-some 60, 60 floors. I don't know it what was. it's called
2: now, but it used to be called the Rainbow Hilton. It's the it's the mm. one on Waikiki with the rainbow on the side of it. It's like mm. 29 stories. We were there as little kids. Mm. And we went to the top floor, hit them all, and then ran down the stairs and yeah. beat the elevator. And there's a huge crowd in the lobby. It was yeah. It yeah, took half an hour a to go down. No, my, I did not make friends that day. Next question.
1: Next question from Zach Jefferson, Spokane, Washington. I need to test a few different options for SRT streaming and would like them all to be tested against the same loads. Any ideas on scaling or building three hundred to one hundred video feeds to load the same to load the systems? Yes, that many.
0: Uh, yeah. Go ahead, guy.
4: Yeah, so I would do this with SRT mini server, which can take in 16 SRT feeds, and I would populate as many of those as you need on it on AWS g 4 dn 4X larges, and then just stack them up. And then those NDI feeds, you could then just um, have a NDI bridge running on another machine and route them wherever you want them to go. And that would be the way that I would do
0: it. Next question.
1: Next question from Rion Smith in Trinidad West Indies. Is there a cheap way to mount a 21-inch monitor in a rack case to a 1 or 2U space? I know there are server monitors, but those are expensive. I want a slim,
5: cheaper option. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. Well, if you're talking about the kind that mount uh, at the bottom of the monitor and then it pulls out and then slides up, that you could probably get a number of those to do a search on it. Um, 21 inches is certainly way more than two units of rack space. so. Uh, that's probably your only option—is have something that mechanically has that hinge in it.
3: Yeah, go ahead, Courtney. I don't think you're going to find a 21 that'll fit in a 19-inch rack space, but you know, good luck. They—they uh, they do make the ones like this one that are designed to pull out into you and in a one U space and fold up, like uh, Mitch was saying, but uh, uh, they are kind of pricey. Yeah, go ahead, Guy.
4: Yeah, I was just down at Noah's and was super impressed with his welding skills and the things that he's building. It's crazy. He, he rolls in these carts and they built these gas struts, struts that'll flip up. We built something similar out of the Gator. Uh, if you if you Google Gator cast monitor, hack for Blackmagic monitor, it's, it's not as big. But basically, we just moved some pins and we were able to take where you would normally put a mixer and... Let me see when we get to the end. So we show how you drill it used out. I to
3: have that case, yeah. Yeah, and so,
4: but we wanted it to sit straight up when it was finished. So at the end, it went like that. Uh, so that was down below. And then up top, we stuck the 17 there. And then it locked in place upright. So it's it's still a very large case, but we were able to carry quite a bit of stuff inside of this. Okay, so I'll put a link to the chat inside of, of this. Uh, it certainly was way cheaper than some of the server monitors um, that you can get for KVMs and things like that. But this allowed us to have the two up, some um, encoders, hard drive, and then we had a TriCaster down below. So this allowed us to have a preview program and then um, uh, the multi-view up top.
0: Yeah, and one thing to think about also is on this, what we did in, in for a lot of our cases is the cases themselves had the ability to mount stuff to the side of them. So we weren't pulling it out, we just had another box that, that came with a bunch of monitors and we could mount them to either side of the case. And that worked pretty well as well. Um, Next question.
1: Next question from Scott Mueller in Germantown, New York. Is the Blackmagic TelenX Audio to SDI box a good alternate to using the mini-eighth-inch jack to get audio into an ATEM Extreme? Will there be any audio latency coming in this way?
0: Uh, There shouldn't be any audio latency or very, very little. I mean, it would be almost, and this is audio to SDI. So what you want to do, what I'm assuming you're doing is you want to take the audio Balanced audio, and you're going to embed it into the SDI um, in there. And the one thing you won't be able to do is if there is a delay at all, you won't be able to fix it because you can't change the you can't you can only delay the analog channels coming into the into the ATEM. Uh, You can't delay the ones that are coming in via SDI. It's kind of a little bit of a an issue there. But um, but I do believe that you could embed those. Um, in there and you'll have balanced audio and you won't be using the little eighth inch jacks and um, you know so I think that it could be a a, there's a lot of people I know that embed those into the cameras Uh, they embed them into the cameras they embed them into other things other way find other ways to do it because the mini the mini the the little micro or um, mini one-eighth jacks in the extremes is definitely one of the real like shortcomings of the of the the switcher I use the switcher every day I love it I just don't use it for audio because it has those mini jacks and it doesn't have TA3s. Um, next question.
1: Next question is from David Brady in New York, New York. Hey, not sure if rundownstudio.io has been discussed before. Has anyone checked it out? Any thoughts if so?
0: Is this John Bar- Barker's new uh, new app? Uh, yeah, I think this is – is it? Is it John Bar- This I don't know if this is – Um, it, it has this kind of nice – I don't – uh it looks expensive enough that I don't think that this is i don't think this is john's what is didn't John have one that he just built um, yeah <laughs> I find it funny rundown studio versus Google sheets because like the problem they have is that ninety nine percent of all shows, the rundown is in Google Sheets. <laughs> so, so anyway, and uh, Showflow and Rundown Creator are the two other ones that are really big. So I haven't seen, run, I haven't played with Rundown Studio. I do not think that this is necessarily this isn't the one. I don't think that John Barker just uh, just built, but I, I don't have the the name of his. And I haven't needed to do this kind of rundown for a little while, so I, I, I don't. I haven't played with it enough. Um, but we'll we'll take a look at it. Haven't looked at it. Looks great. It look. I mean, as far as the design goes. Um, we'd have to compare it, but ShowFlow and then again, Rundown Creator is more for broadcast, ShowFlow is more for events, um, but they're comparing themselves to ShowFlow. So I'm assuming that they're not trying to do a broadcast show like what we're doing. They're trying to do a show, you know, and you know, there's a lot of, the thing about ShowFlow, it'd be really interesting to see how they compare themselves to that. Um, this is the, uh, let me see if you're watching here. Rundown Studio
6: is John Barker's. Is it? Yeah. Wow.
0: Okay. There you go. Um, it's he's gone up in uh, in cost. <laughs> so, so I was like uh so that's good. I mean I I I I think that it's um uh, the one thing I will say is John Barker has done a lot of production. So I have a feeling that it's going to um uh it's going to think about what those things are um because he, it really is written by somebody who who knows it. and I don't know John if you're listening um to our show. I know John listens to our show sometimes and and uh um, let 's see here. I would do this in a side by side column anyway um the uh john you sh- you 're more than welcome to come on we 'd love to have you on have you talk about it. I think we need to we need to have John on to know how it works so um so hopefully someone can reach out to john <laughs> he's a friend of the he 's friend friend of the show so um and but i 'd love to see more about it because you know finding this show flow hasn't been a one to one setup for us we tr- We worked with Showflow and then we went back to Google Sheets. Next question.
1: Next question from Zach Jeffers in Spokane, Washington. I've been looking to get the X32 for my fly rack, but the Precinnis Series 3 16R is only one U, which is attractive. Any thoughts on the X32 plus Dante versus the 16R plus AVB?
0: You know, I, I yeah, go ahead, Guy.
4: Yeah, I'm kind of on the same boat. I almost bought a Midas M32R yesterday from a local church. I've been listening online. Thankfully, this is another great use of YouTube is to be able to go in and listen to those pre's because a lot of folks will say, you know, the Behringer's okay, but it doesn't have... People love the rack. I know John Prado's got one. I know Alex has got one. So I wanted to get one just to learn it. And our church is using an um, MR18. And so I figured if I was going to buy an MR18, may as well get a used uh, M32 rack and then get a Dante card. So I'm on the same boat as you. I'm on the same path. of so you, I'm going to go research the Personas now to figure out what else I need in my life. But uh, looking at the new Yamaha that's coming out, there's I think it's the DM3 or one of those. Uh, there's some Alan Heath stuff. There's just so much good stuff. I'm sure Mickey or somebody in the chat will also throw some some other um, things your way to to take a look at. But yeah, I'm on the same boat. But I'd be looking at the M32 are with the Dante card as well, just because you get those those sweeter pre's. Unless you're using a stage box, I think it's the S16, that now you use those pre's uh, on the stage box. So it just depends on what you want to do with the thing and how much capability ins and outs that you actually need and where you want to go in the future.
0: Yeah, I I think that um, for me, I'm not, like I have to have be able to use Dante, <laughs> you know. So, so that's not like it. As soon as I don't have Dante, I'm like, oh, I'm not interested. <laughs> like so, so you know. So being able to do that, the um, uh, and then I think that there's more I/O in the I think there's more I/O in the Behringer um, than than this uh, 16R. So I think that that would be something that I mean, if I'm using it, that's what I'd be using it for. I have had the um, the M the the M by, I don't. I think is that the one you're talking about? The one u Dante only or one u that's all. Just an M32 or an X32 that, or M32 or whatever that's in one unit. We've used those as one. There used to be a, a Behringer version, not a Midas version of that. Uh,
4: the one that I was going to buy was a monster M32 with sixteen motorized faders. So it's oh, a yeah. big, bad boy. Yeah.
0: The problem, the problem that I have, I've we've gotten those. Um, we've had a bunch of ones that'll fit into the the producer version that'll fit into the rack. The really large ones with a ton of faders. And the real issue that we had was running all the cables over there. And really took like as like. Once I started running all the cables over, I was like, "I'm going to use a QO one." <laughs> like, you know, like, like it's, you know, once I went down a path of, like, I'm going to pack all those cables over. Now I'm using a QO one or QL five. Um, so for the kind of shows that I would use a Behringer for, that this is what really happened was I don't view the Behringer as a main main show production unit. Um, I, I, you know, as far as like the kind of shows that we work on, we usually go to the Yamahas, the QL ones, the QL fives, you know, and then up from there. Um, and so, and we have, then we have in the shows that we've done recently about Digico's and SSLs and, and, um, Calrex. And so, so the, the, uh, so I, I don't think that, you know, for me, it's like, hey, this show is fits into a box that is not super high end, not super expensive, uh, show that i want a lot of io that i want it to be mechanically correct and do the thing it needs to do and inside of that i don't buy any of the x32s anymore i used to i had a lot of x32s that were the the fade had faders and everything else but i generally just get the rack and then i have an x touch or i have software running in or whatever because that's the box that the x32 fits into in my head like i'm not you know i don't i don't they're not high enough end for me to put them into a into a larger solution yeah go ahead, guy yeah, I'm not the expert
4: on this, but the the stage boxes, like on the Q, on the QLs, I know that they'll use the Rios, but this is also what I was looking at pairing it with either a, a Behringer S32 through AES50, mm-hmm. I believe it is, uh, or it's a, con, con, is their a alternate. Cap 5. I think it uses a, their al-
0: uh, alternate, Is there, yeah, uh, these, these stage boxes. I, I haven't used the, yeah. the S32, but I've used the S8 and the S16.
4: Yeah, so it's just one cable. Then you get all of that I/O over the one box. You can throw that up on the stage or wherever it needs to go. And so that's a that's an option as well. It's yeah, AES yeah. S fifty. M- 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 Mickey confirms. I think it's an EtherCon uh, connection.
0: Yeah, and the and the um, uh, I've definitely used the in my in one of my studios. I had an S sixteen and it was or S eight and it was great. Like it just we put it under the table and now all my little bits and pieces. Maybe it was an S sixteen because they had more I/O anyway. So, um, but uh, that that worked fairly
5: well. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. You no, know, the uh, Midas pedigree for preamps is pretty good and it's been used quite a bit. You would think now that they're part of Behringer that uh, they would sort of migrate some of those preamps over to the Behringer X32 well, products? Well,
0: they, they have. Those are the M32s. The M32s are the are the X... and they're, it's more than that. If you look at... Dave Ratt actually tore some of these apart and um, the M32s are... M- are not the same as the x-32s the entire it's not just the preamps uh the all the wiring and everything else um uh you know you tear that apart and it's a it's a different it's a different beast so it's, it's a much more reliable right the m32s are a much different box than the x-32s so if you really want that higher end but again once i start talking about m32s i very quickly graduate to yamahas <laughs> so uh next question
1: from Jack Rupel in Breckenridge, Colorado, asked day before yesterday about VR 180 content. Not mine. Online content overall horribly shot with subject too close, moving too much, free background music. Apple spatial video will be a train wreck. Comment?
0: Uh, well, you would assume that people are going to shoot that footage the same way, and you probably would. That probably wouldn't be super accurate. Uh, I have a feeling that Apple Apple is going to put a lot of Effort and time into shooting. I think we're going to see footage uh, from Apple next year. I I I believe that what we've seen so far of the of the headset of the Vision Pro is about five percent of the powder that Apple has behind that that headset. <laughs> like this is like be clear. This is not this is not a sideshow. This is not like a little extra. This is where they see the future of computing. You know, and so you like what, and they, Apple is the masters of keeping the, the powder dry. So um, you should expect to see a lot more. Um, and they have all the money and they'll, they'll spend all the money on, I think some of the examples you're going to see as this starts to come out are going to be pretty, pretty amazing. And we've shot definitely stuff for Meta and for Google and for others long ago five, six years ago that was very compelling. It's just that other, shooting with little cameras and then also not understanding how, a lot of what you see online or shot by people have only shot maybe 30, 40 hours of footage. You don't get good at doing VR until you've shot a couple hundred hours of footage and looked at it because you learn what you can and can't do with the camera, what you can and can't do with the people, what you can and can't do. There's a whole bunch of things that it's a different, it's not filmmaking. It's not filmmaking the way you think of it. It's a completely different, you know, uh, process and it takes all of us time to figure out how to do that. Um, Go ahead, Courtney.
3: Yeah, and if they're hand-holding the phone to shoot this spatial stuff uh, in prep for, or if they're using, uh, maybe they have the prototype of the Vision Pro uh, and they're, you know, jumping around (laughs) on their headset, if it doesn't have any kind of gimbal or image stabilization, that's probably going to make a lot of people sick very fast. you
0: You really can't move the camera. So you can so it depends on what you 're doing when you're doing one hundred eighty. the camera in general needs to stay where it is. Um, you can move a little bit, but you have to remember that the problem that we have is that our inner ear isn 't moving, so our inner ear doesn't doesn 't have any movement going on with it but our but our our eyes are seeing things translating the, that makes people sick a lot of people sick you know when they when they have that and the reason for that is that is that the um when your inner ear doesn't match your eyes, your brain for a million years that meant you are being poisoned. <laughs> like, like, you know, like you are, you like like you ate the wrong berries. You know, and, and so and so and so so that and so usually what the what the machine does, our machine, is get everything out of your stomach,
3: like just just get it
0: all out of there because whatever you ate isn't good for you. Um, and so that that's what it was for a million years, and so now in the last couple. <laughs> last couple of years the last second of our existence we've now we've now done this thing where we can change the what we're seeing versus what we're feeling and so you have to be very careful of moving the camera we used to do this thing we had this test that we were doing with a with an ozo we had the ozo sitting on top of a steadicam and we would move really slowly and people would feel it and then right at the very end i, I have to admit it was a it was a bad joke right at the there end, my brother would just spin spin the the ozo to 90 degrees because that's what he does when he's done like to so it takes less weight and that's how he pulls it back in so he'd go down this thing and then he'd spin it like this and every single time you could see someone just pull the pull the headset we always knew when they were done because they'd pull the headset off their head as fast as they could because that that would make their whole inner inner ear go crazy so um the big the big thing is if you keep the camera stationary you keep your subjects five to 15, five to fifteen feet away that matter um, and you, you know, manage your lighting and everything else, you can get some pretty impressive experiences. Um, If you do anything outside of that, it drops off pretty quickly. Yeah, go ahead,
3: Courtney. So here's a tip. If you find someone that has the new Vision Pro and gets used to watching that uh, handheld video on their Vision Pro, you yeah, can just... poison them very easily exactly. and steal their Vision Pro. So yeah, exactly. there's your solution. <laughs> But,
0: you know, I think that you, you just want to look at getting, getting a good tripod if you're going to do a lot of that stuff. Now, you can get away with that. That's 180. If you're shooting with your phone, you can actually get away with a lot more movement because that's going to be a 16 by 9 rectilinear inside of a space. As long as the person with the headset can see something that isn't moving, it doesn't bother them. It's when they see something that, that when they don't have a frame of reference is when they get sick. Um, next question.
1: Next question from Zach Stallsmith in Chautauqua, New York. I'm having some major audio dropout issues with NDI Studio Monitor. I've been using it to show my vMix output up until a few weeks ago. Now only the video comes through with no issues. Any ideas? Good Guy. Yeah,
4: I'd have to look at the whole topology and see what switch you're using and if you're using a separate NIC card. Um, in a case like that, if you're just outputting out of vMix and you want stability and you just you don't have a properly configured NDI and N end solution, then I would just go VB audio cable and pump the audio out that way out of vMix and external, uh, when you click the little external button, you can also just push out a regular uh, webcam UVC type output out of, out of vMix. But if you want to use NDI, I would use a separate NIC. So you would have two NICs, one dedicated to um, to NDI specifically, and then a managed switch where you're running uh, either MDNS uh, properly configured through a properly configured switch like this M4250. If you were to export the profile that they have for NDI 5 and look at all the tweaks that they have for these managed switches, it's amazing how many things that you really can get wrong with configuration. So if you have, you know, some other ruckus or some kind of uh, higher-end Meraki or whatever switch, then uh, some of those settings can derail your NDI. So, uh, for the for the basic stuff, I would just go with external output out of VMix and just say uh, UVC, uh, pick up the camera there, and then VB audio cable and take it out of there. I wouldn't use NDI unless you. For a rock solid show, I would. That's how I would get out, or through a Blackmagic DeckLink or AJA card. But I wouldn't use NDI unless you you know what you're. Doing and you have a managed switch and separate NIC and properly configured system.
0: Next question.
1: Zach Jeffers in Spokane, Washington, in regards to the previous question about the iPhone heatsink in the Apple video, it's actually a heatsink, hot glued. Look again.
0: I just don't think I saw. I don't. I don't think I saw this clip. But yeah, you're right. It is. Um, uh, it is a hot. Here. Here's the. Here's what he's showing. I do not know what this would be used for so this is this is what he's showing here is this is this hot sink it looks like it's it's to the moment rig but there's also like a usb i don't know what this is i don't know why you have this ethernet or this um what i'm gonna guess is a yeah yeah i don't know what that's for go ahead courtney
3: yeah, I think uh hot glue was a a wrong chance, uh, a wrong selection because it's melting because it gets too hot. Right? I don't I just don't But I imagine no. if if the iPhone is is uh trying to stream uh, 444 uh, you know uh ProRes mm. to uh, to an externally hooked up NVMe drive, you know, maybe it's going to heat up trying to do all that that quickly, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it looks like a heat sink, but the other thing I was thinking is, I can't quite see it that clearly on my monitor, but I was thinking there are a lot of NVMe drive uh, containers, drive caddies, mm-hmm. that have a heat sink on them to reduce the heat sink from the drive itself. Maybe that was what it is, but it looks like, actually like a bigger heat sink than that. You know? I don't know. Uh, we'll have to, we'll, um, uh, and I would use a silicone heat sink uh,
0: adhesive, what which they make. I don't know what you need to cool at that part of the phone. That's the part that I don't understand. So, anyway, it'd be really interesting to we'll, we'll do some research. Next question.
1: From Tommy Shantz in St. Paul, Minnesota, USA, what is a solution for selecting the wanted frame from an iPhone movie photo on a Windows computer?
0: Um, take the move into Resolve which is free on your Windows computer and export a frame. <laughs> like like that's, the, that's the easiest way to do that like I'm just telling you like you can do a lot of different things but that's going to be quick and easy uh, to do it you'll be able to grab onto any of those frames. I don't know of any easy way to do that off of I mean I think you'll spend more time fiddling with it. Um, the Resolve is free um, and I would use that. Yeah,
3: go ahead, Courtney. There's plenty of applications if you're you're playing it back full frame in a video player. There's a hot key that you can do a screen grab with, and it'll just put a. The,
0: the key is that the that the resolve will export the actual frame from the actual footage as opposed to a screen capture. Which I wouldn't I wouldn't awesome. want to use a screen capture if I didn't. Unless, I don't, I'll never use a screen capture unless I'm backed into a corner.
3: Yeah, because the screen capture will go through color correction and whatever you have in your mm-hmm. pipeline to to put it the right color for your screen. So bear that yeah. in mind. Next question
1: from Dale Nebetta in Oakland, California. Has anyone had any experience with the Samsung T9 portable SSD?
0: I have not used the T9, so we've, I have lots and lots of T5s. I have some T7s and haven't needed, I have so many T5s laying around that I haven't needed to have a T9 um, to, to use. So I haven't, haven't gotten to play with it yet. Um, next question.
1: Next question from David Brady in New York, New York, looking for a solution to get audio out of an Apple TV 4K into my Bowers & Wilkins Panorama soundbar. Problem is, it's only got Toslink. Any good D-embedders out there? I saw okay. this one from...
0: And uh, CJ? Um,
1: unless, m- maybe it's an earlier Panorama soundbar that uh, doesn't support eARC. I know the modern ones support eARC, and I uh, that's where the it'll send that, that audio signal over the HDMI cable back to the soundbar. I was really bummed when I found out Toslink doesn't support Atmos or some of the newer, higher bitrate uh, connections, I guess, because there's some conflict about the standards. So I, I kind of had to move away from the Toslink's if cable. Although if you are if you really need to go with that connector, you can get on B&H some uh, HDMI audio extractors. The thing that you got to really be careful with there is does the Specific extractors support the video pass-through without affecting the signal quality if you're trying to get 4k 120 And you use a a really inexpensive budget HDMI audio extractor. You're going to lose something there Next question Next question from Danny Grizzle in Longview, Texas. For a one-man band or small crew, I'm thinking of building a van and looking at production carts. What are the pros and cons of folding carts, like innovative versus non-folding, like studio carts and tie-down systems and trucks? Brand recommendations? Uh, go
0: ahead, uh, Guy.
4: Yeah, Film Tools has some really nice carts. If you go to their website and take a look, uh, if you can get to their, their uh, showroom in L.A., um, they got some really great stuff. I was uh, looking at uh, Noah's setup. He does a lot of corporate gigs where he rolls in, and so he he's uh, built these ones by himself. I would actually reach out to Noah Sargent on uh, Discord, and these are homemade ones. Uh, and he's actually got a newer version. I don't have a close-up picture of the newer one, so he's gone through several iterations so that he can wheel in his mixer he, for the event that we're doing next week. It'll It has two trays so we have on the sides that come out so that we can actually have an operator for the PTZs on one side and then I'll be running the cable cam on the other side. So not only is it a cart that we can wheel in that has all the gear in it with all the cables and then the flip up monitor that you just saw, but then there's two workstations that fold out the side. So it depends on what you want to do. You know, do you need streaming encoders? Do you need cables? how much GAC do you need to carry? Are you, are you bringing in lights? Uh, in addition to the cameras, uh, how many carts, uh, cause at Cinegear we showed, uh, uh, some motors that'll hook onto carts. So it does get super heavy that you can just, uh, have it kind of wheel along with you. And somebody else, uh, I think it was David Brady was showing that there's a, a golf cart that'll, um, golf caddy that'll follow you. There's like an auto follow mode. So if you don't need something super heavy, uh, I take a look at some of the, the golf, uh, um, carts as well that can can go up hills and up steep terrain with these big big wheels. These Because uh, that's the thing, it's, it's all about the wheels. You know, you want stuff that can cross over thrushes and if there is a cable, um, what do you call those, those r- raceways that you need to sometimes get over, you want to be able to Hello, get over them without dropping everything.
3: Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, as, as far, if you're building a, a, a van specifically for hauling equipment around, I would not go with a folding cart. Uh, go with a cart that you can leave upright and lash to the side of the van, tie it off very stably uh, at the top and at the bottom. And uh, because of folding carts, folding carts are very not, not very stable because they're designed to fold up and they've got, you know, scissor-type hinges in them. And so they tend to be fairly wobbly. And... Uh, You know, you don't want to you don't want to disassemble everything to get it to the location, then reassemble it all and wire it back up again. That takes a large amount of time with the fold down carts. And I would only go with that if you have like a station wagon or something where you can't low. You can't roll up a ramp into the back of your vehicle Uh, if you have to take it all apart and put it back in cases that uh you know that doubles your your time to get to the set and get set up It's better to have a van you can with a pair of ramps that you can lash everything to a very stable cart that has uh that's not designed to fold that has welded joints and
2: uh, pneumatic wheels roll it in the back and lash it to the side. go ahead Chris yeah Noah actually has a a um an equipment trailer, which is a much lower lo- low deck than a, even a van, and that's something to think about too. I mean, think about the Egyptians making the pyramids. How long does the ramp have to be? Um, so, and and in Noah's, I believe it's the whole back door is the ramp. You know, it's one of those kind of deals. And uh, absolutely, Noah has worked really hard to make his setup uh, set up and tear down quite easily.
0: Uh, yeah, I've I've. Uh tended to go with things that are a little bit more case driven I and mean, just the way I kind of work so I so if you look at this this is a really basic kit that we build this is a three camera BRC system um and uh and so this is the case the the the, the um the ends of the case turn into tables and um, we kind of build out from there and I've built many, many versions of this. <laughs> so so this, this is one, uh, sometimes they have two or three of those long cases there. And then what I use the van for is to get them around. So I have a lift gate on the back, I, you know, we, we put them up in there. Um, our setup time for this one, I think I think our, our target setup time for this was 20 minutes. So we had to be able to, from the time we rolled into the room it had to be operational in 20 minutes with two people, um, and so that—that's—that's that's what it took. And the one person was setting up the cameras, and running the cables to the person. And but this would take this takes 20 because almost everything is all built into the into the case itself. And those are two elementals. So this is not like a cheap case. This is still like a um, you know eighty thousand dollar case, <laughs> but, it, but it works really well. And in some of the cases, we've added you know we have an audio rack, a video rack, and then usually a GAC rack. And those are three of them that go that go together. And that that one, the target was 45 minutes, but it had you know free speak and you know lots of other stuff built into it. So, um, uh, and so those are those are ones when we know we're going to do the same thing over and over again that we would build. And um, you know, we we built these. Um, let's see, I think I have some more pictures. This is kind of what it looked like. You can see the BRCs there. Um, these were this is what we built. We we drilled these in and then machined these so that we could throw the monitors onto them. Um and so they you know but again in 20 minutes this thing was you know operational everything's marked everything's ready to go um, and then the the big thing is is that if you look back at it like we inside of it are all the cases that hold all the things that need to go into the thing so it's it's pretty uh pretty quick uh, I think there might have been a a cake uh, creaky, um
2: case that went with that you go to Chris is there any chance Alex we could do a second hour on the photo album on your computer called difficult. That sounds super interesting. <laughs>
7: it was difficult. You know have I a photo album two, called
2: I like,
7: Difficult. I, <laughs> I don't even see it.
2: It's um, the, down at the bottom. I just mean? imagine these are like nightmare shows that didn't go well. This is the difficult photo album. Here's the, <laughs> the funny thing is like, I don't,
0: oh, where did, I mean, I have so many weird, uh, oh, difficult. I, I think, and sometimes it might have been the start of something. Um,
2: uh, I mean, I'm mean, i totally see. cool with doing a full second hour on this. Yeah, I, there's only three photos. It, it wasn't. Okay. I, I don't know what I was thinking. It, I'll just
0: you know, it was it was just this was our old hangout rig um, that that we had there. That's how we did hangouts. Um, from and there's, <laughs> there's Shannon running that running the rig. Uh, this was I don't know what we were shooting there, but it was a CineDrive um, that we were using. And then this was me building this little hand rig that you could. Um, uh, and I don't know why I called it difficult. I'm sure that there was a reason. There's for three
6: it. photos of Fenwick uh, in the difficult folder. That's what. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I had thought about that ahead of time, I would have added. Like, here's a picture of Chris. <laughs> here's a picture of Chris. Uh, next question.
1: Next question from Rion Smith in Trinidad, West Indies. How thick of neoprene did you suggest yesterday for the stabilization of base vibrations coming up a tripod or light stand to the camera?
0: You know, we we grabbed what we could on a roll, and I think it was half-inch. I think it was half-inch, and then I think we just made layers of it <laughs> and then put them into things. And so I think it might have ended up being like a one-inch or one-and-a-half-inch, but it was half-inch strips where, or a half-inch roll is what we bought. Yeah, go ahead, Courtney.
3: Yeah, I've been using this uh, stuff called from uh, Amazon called Yolshai Window Air Conditioner Foam Tape. It's one inch by one inch and has adhesive back on it. And you can stack them next to each other and it's mm-hmm. very absorptive of uh, vibration. Used uh, for ne- shock mounts for uh, uh, microphones.
0: Next question.
1: Back again, Rion Smith from Trinidad West Indies. Is the Samsung T5 better than an NVMe holder with an M2 drive in it for the ATEM Extreme ISO recording?
0: Uh, go ahead, Mitchell.
5: Yeah, I think they both would be a little bit of overkill. The T5 would be just fine with an H264 uh, ISO recording. Uh, the uh, MV2, M- MVM- MVME2 uh, would be fine for uh, coming right out of a camera. It has a much bigger uh, rate coming out of it.
0: Yeah, the the, the problem with the, if you do a really long show, the problem with the T5s is when they get to about 400 gigs, they just dump. Like they just they just overheat and stop. And so the T7 has the same problem. Um, This is the Oyen Digital, which we got out of some Cinegear, which I I like a lot. And if I've recorded, that's usually one of the things I like to record on. Now I build my own. These are the, a Neo makes these. This has actually a fan that runs down the ribs Um, and it turns on and tells you whether it's going hot. And then this one is kind of, we talked about this one before. This is also another, um, you know, a a Neo, I think uh, there. This is like a little one that I put together. I like them the, the advantage of the T5 mostly is that it goes into a lot of camera rigs really easily cuz they're built around they're built around them. Um, next question.
1: Next question from Pedro G Gonzalez the 3rd in Oklahoma City, do LED 1 by 1 light panels for 1000 plus really outperform the $200 1 by 1 lights strictly speaking about light quality, not network connectivity, control or batteries? I got a guy
4: it depends i mean the leds have gotten so much better over the years the original light panels when they first came out they had a slight green cast to them and just the way that they would dim them, it would shift the the CRI and the actual, you could visually see it, especially on people and, and on chip charts, you would be able to see this color cast. And so they built in correction for that. And Some of the cheaper lights will will still have this uh, ability to correct. So I have a spectrometer and I could measure, you know, if you showed me the $200 one, I can grab my spectrometer, I can hit it. And if you, if you measured pure daylight, so I'm looking outside and I take my spectrometer and I hit it, it's going to say a hundred. So daylight, pure daylight is 100 cri it's the best you can get now some of these cheap ones i've seen them go down to six in the 60s and that's where it's just nasty and it makes it really difficult to to color correct this stuff so can a modern day 200 uh, dollar led light outperform a thousand dollar uh light panel of of yesterday absolutely yeah there there is inexpensive because so these chinese factories are pumping out these lights Uh, believe me i used did this for a living. I sold a lot, a lot of lights and manufactured a lot of lights. So um, when you're looking at these inexpensive lights, they've copied us, the guys who did all the research and figured this out and figured out how to dim and still maintain color accuracy. And now they're pumping them out, buying 10, 20,000 of these at a time and getting them down to 200 bucks. And so, yeah, but I would do... Um, the research and see if somebody who has one of these meters has measured that $200 one to see if it's actually worthy because even these Amaran lights, this P60C that I just got is amazing. So, if you're looking at a a light, uh, go look at the uh, Amaran P60C, it's on a Black Friday sale right now.
0: Go ahead, Mitchell.
5: Yeah. I agree with Guy. I mean, to get from from here to here, you could probably spend $200, but to get from here to there, probably spend about $2,000. I have a light panel, the brand name. Um, one by one and uh, it's very soft and nice looking and very, very accurate color. Um, I'd put it up against just about any import uh, down below price range. Yeah, I, I, uh,
0: the, I'm just amazed that I I started with light panels, you know, I don't know, a long time ago, 15 years ago and spent a lot of money on them, I had like 20, 20 of them or something like that and used them all over the place and they were great. I can't believe what I can do with a nan light now. <laughs> just like you know, the nan lights are just you know, and and they're you know, they're they're more power and they're more ever you know, they're more all the things and they're not that expensive. It's really it's really kind of become amazing. All right, thanks everybody. Uh, thanks uh, thanks to the panel for all the great work uh, and it's great on a Saturday to have a nice con- – con- when we start these on Saturday, I'm like, oh, this will be a short show and then it never is. It's, it almost never is. It's always like we always get to the end there. And that has to do with, of course, the great panel a- answering the questions as well as the incredible producers asking all the questions that we do here. Um, so thank you so much for your contribution here. If remind, – reminder, we won't use the QR code on Sunday because we don't record. So if you have stuff, there's a couple people that have some stuff in the in – the, in, uh, that are put in the QR code. That'll be on Monday. Um, But uh, thank you for throwing those questions into Makana or into the QR code Um, and thanks to the incredible uh, team on the back end that is programming this, editing this seven days a week um, as well as um, you know planning them and figuring this all out. So we really appreciate everybody's contribution. We traveled uh, 71,000 miles, 115,000 kilometers and that is 566 million bananas for scale. All right, let's go ahead and jump into After Hours.
5: Great job, CJ. Uh, yeah, good you job, can read yeah. any time,
0: day of the week. Thank you. Um, and uh reminder that we're just about to start the volunteer meeting. So if you're interested in that, you can jump into that. We'll, I'll put a post out for it. All right. Thanks.
3: Volunteers. See ya. Bye bye.